0: Hello and welcome to Do Not Steal, a podcast about tabletop criticism and our OCs. Um, I'm the sick dog, Olivia Joseph. <laughs> yeah,
1: you, you look a little under the weather. Look? What? What does that mean? Don't we record in separate uh, apartments? No. Today, and in fact, in all future ones, we're going to be recording in the same apartment. Because uh, it turns out that we're moving in together. What? Oh, crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I just, like, put a big lasso around the dog.
0: I was on a stage, and there was a large comedy crook that came out. Oh, yes. Oh, just
1: a big shepherd's crook. I feel like there's some dogs that if they just saw that big shepherd's crook would just, like, have their attention caught by it and just follow it without getting hooked by it.
0: (laughs) This is a a very... This is an extended goof. We also have a guest with us. Yeah,
1: I was wondering like, how much we could just like make him laugh without acknowledging his presence. Hi. like you're, you're hearing some kind of strange cackling in the background. Who could it be? Oh,
2: God. Um, does
1: our special guest want to introduce himself?
2: Yeah. Uh, hi, I'm Ben. Um, I'm uh, a guest here. I'm also one half of the Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements podcast
0: the I'm world's sorry. premier Moby Dick podcast.
2: Yeah. The world's only Moby Dick podcast. If there are any others, I will hunt them.
0: <laughs> I would say I would say premier because to me it doesn't matter how many other Moby Dick podcasts there are. I want nothing to do with them. They have nothing to offer me. Yeah. Whale statements is all I need. Yeah. Aww. It rolls. Much Thank you. much like much like the real life whale. I can <laughs> break down whale statements into a bunch of different byproducts which Satisfy all of my household needs. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: surprisingly
2: uh. many.
0: No. Yeah.
1: So, so Ben, I'm I'm guessing that you're just here to to talk about whales. Which, um, just throwing like a, a random guess out here, is that your only area of expertise and passion? You probably don't have a
2: lot of tabletop background. Is that right? Uh, yeah. No, it's mostly whales. Um, I I've, I've heard that I should get into like Fate for the Gotcha because there's whaling in that. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, no, I uh Ben stopped telling lies. RPGs. Yeah, I was stopping. I was stopping. I'm I'm not good at it. Uh I'm not good at lies. However, I do like to think I'm pretty good at tabletop uh role playing games. I hugely enjoy them. Um I've been trying to design my own for a little while and messing around with that stuff, and uh I'm very happy to say that is why I'm here for the first part of the episode as well. That's right.
0: Yeah, we ha we have been on to discuss Fate Ignite Array, which is a
2: fate
0: fate franchise or fate stay night inspired which is i would say fate stay night inspired it's
2: uh, yeah i think about. that's i think that's broadly more correct like obviously you know uh myself and uh, co-author uh, ren who is a lovely person um and uh knows a lot more about fate than i do and i have learned a ridiculous amount of trivia about fate, uh, but it's definitely starting with fate stay night, and then I think fate zero is also in there, a uh, little bit less fate grand order because it's definitely focusing on like the grail war structure. Because we think it was a, it we think it's a really fun framework for telling a story, and it's relatively self enclosed in a way that you yeah. know, a gotcha game isn't.
0: Yeah, yeah. for For those of you listening at home, the basic concept of fate of uh, multimedia franchise giant fates day night is that a bunch of um wizards have summoned the spirits of like famous mythological slash historical personages to fight a battle royale for the holy grail which is supposed to grant your wish um to the last team standing and uh that gets a lot more complicated Obviously, um, yeah. oh
2: god, it gets complicated. The, the franchise—it's
1: one of the, its one of those franchises that's all about like
2: introducing
1: a, a very ironclad and interesting rule to you, and then like literally
2: the next minute being like. <laughs> that rule just got broken (laughs) oh yeah no my my personal position on like fate thematically is that a large part of why rules exist in fate like on on the in character level is so that they can be broken to make a point about like limitations and destroying yourself to overcome limits it's a really humanist franchise but in a really amoral way like people can do anything in fate and that's a really bad thing sometimes but sometimes it's cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah wizards are totally allowed to have no sense of right and wrong (laughs) oh god i don't think it i am sure there's a wizard in fate that has a sense of right and wrong besides Rin tosaka but i can't think of them right now
1: yeah um so yeah it's a a lot of it is about like these you know extremely asshole or at the very least amoral wizards um and like the political machinations of their secret wizard world and then kind of like merging with the you know, simultaneous fish out of water comedy and also like grand heroic uh tragedies and and narratives of these legendary figures that they have summoned. So mm-hmm. um as far as igniterray, this is designed to be a way to actually play out a Grail War. Um so a, a typical Grail War will have seven teams of two people does not require 14 players to play there are plenty of provisions for npcs to take either half of a team or all of a team um but yeah it's it's designed to kind of be a framework for like pvp but not in like a a mechanical sense right it's it's designed to be like a collaborative storytelling game it's not designed to be okay well i'm gonna make my character build you're gonna make your character build and then we're gonna like Face those off in an RPG combat system. Um, I think it's it's not quite a story game, but it's definitely story gamey in that like there's not much in the way of stats. There's not much in the way of um, like optimization. There's definitely ways that you can play the game if you're trying to win above all else that are a little more um, you know conducive to that goal. But mainly, it's just about the idea of providing a mechanical structure that allows this grail war shaped story to be collaboratively written
0: oh i would say that there there actually are a lot of stats but they (laughs) they like you know the stats don't matter in a mechanical sense i guess they they matter the stats are there for the narrative value you give your you give your character the power to you give your character a sword that um, causes wounds that don't heal, not to like make you better at fighting, but to say, okay, you know, in this fight that we've like rolled the dice for and we know I'm going to win, here's how I win and it's with my sword that causes wounds that don't heal.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think a, a good example of like how this manifests is that um, the two of us, me and Olivia are actually playing right now in a game of this that is being refereed by Ben.
2: And it's been really
1: fun. It's been really fun, yeah. The character that I created uh was the the heroic spirit Archer, and she was designed to be like deliberately overpowered. Uh in the fields where it says like give us stat levels and whatnot, I just maxed pretty much everything out. Because <laughs> like the idea is that she is this like, you know, unstoppable juggernaut until you realize she's kind of like stupid and straightforward and that any plan to outsmart her will work. Um, so, you know, she's been eliminated by this point. She was, like, the second heroic spirit to die. Um, and I was able to, like, have that storyline that was very clearly about, like, you know, this, uh, seemingly unstoppable force being brought low in a way that's, like, tragic and empathetic, uh, without having to worry about, like, ooh, how do I actually optimize this character to make her so powerful, or how do I, like,
2: allow her to be beaten in these ways, um... Yeah,
1: yeah,
2: go for it then. Oh, I was going to say that I think that uh, it's worth mentioning that, like, the major mechanical inspirations for the game in this respect were uh, Firebrands, which gave us sort of the general structure, um, which is a, it's theoretically a mech game, but it's mostly about, like, you know, the social and personal interactions between characters in a series of uh, sort of mini-scenes or mini-game scenes. And Fiasco, which is a story game, and Mm -hmm. uh, which really gave the sort of sense of, wait, we we don't have to actually, like, Make combats like a, a crunchy, again, comparing different mechanical modules you've put into your characters so that they mesh together in various ways. Instead, it's much more about making one sort of overall role uh, for how is this going to go broadly, and then giving players a lot of uh, freedom to fill in those blanks and fill in how yeah. that goes.
1: Yeah, there's there's, the way that the game works in, in a broad mechanical sense is that there are day phases where you have like a big list of actions that you can choose from that kind of you know are just like different type of scenes that would happen in a grail war and uh some of them will give you specific kinds of mechanical bonuses um and some will give you disadvantages and then during the night phase you have decisive conflicts which at the start especially don't have to be lethal but are like real big serious conflicts between two teams and it's just, like, a percentage role. You know, the the referee will determine, like, okay, team A starts with a 60% chance, team B starts with a 40% chance. And then things like disadvantages, things like spending plot tokens to create little, like, plot twists or introduce new abilities, piece of information, etc. Those can be used to influence the, the odds, but it does just come down to that single role. So, again, you could play in a way that, like, really hoards plot tokens and avoids expenditures until critical moments or whatnot. But it's kind of a system that, like, doesn't necessarily reward that type of gamesmanship so much.
2: Yeah, that's... There's actually something that we've been thinking about as we're, you know, playtesting, thank you also for uh, helping us playtest, uh, is thinking a little bit about, for example, other ways of doing the weighting. Um, so like the mm-hmm. weighting is in like the percentage chances, because right now there is a lot of uh, referee discretion. And, you know, we call this sort of GM position a referee because the idea is ultimately a player character is almost certainly gonna win the grail war. It would be really weird and unfortunate if, against player interests and NPC won the Grail War, so players are very much sort of enshrined as you're the ones taking part in this uh, in this saga. Um, You're the ones who are like the viewpoint characters, so you're the ones who are the main characters. And uh, the referee to some extent is supposed to be a neutral figure helping people set up interesting arcs between each other and helping feed NPCs into that uh, in an effective way. And I'm sure we'll get into this when we talk about, you know, how you can spend plot tokens, but there's a lot of effort to make it this collaborative um, thing even if there's a certain amount of competition a little bit of a you know the gambling fun of getting to roll off against each other and be like yeah we did okay or ooh we're gonna get a bunch of bruises from this one
0: yeah i think um i think one of my favorite experiences in the playtest so far was um i think it was the second night but it was a it was a fight between me and Hannah's team and then another team and the it did just come down to a single dice roll but the way that we were doing that roll you know it was very the way we talk about this stuff is at least in this playtest game it's very you know we we talk about this a lot like a season of anime and so we <laughs> yeah. talk about character arts and and themes and framing and so the dice the dice roll was basically it was going to be we ended up reframing the dice roll so that we we knew that we were going to... Me and Hannah's team was going to win. But the dice roll was, does this win make you look like the good guys or the bad guys, basically? yeah. Like, is this a win that you pull off heroically or that you pull off kind of like viciously and, and ruthlessly? Um, and then winning that dice roll made me feel very proud because it was, you know... <laughs> um, I like my little moron, and <laughs> I want I, I I want good things for him. So I was happy when he rolled the dice, and I got to say, "Oh, Max is the hero." Uh,
1: yeah, she's she's never
0: stopped
2: saying that since. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's sometimes been kind of accurate. It's I, it's really cute.
0: I have run I've run that joke into the ground, but yeah, that's that's the vibe of the game basically. Is you know you. Kind of everything. Everything comes. Everything has really come kind of like secondary to, what kind of, you know, kind of like what kind of story we're trying to tell with this yeah. setup. And I think that's been both good and bad sometimes.
1: Yeah, because I, I was about to say like um, I think that like overall this is a a very fun system and I've had like an incredible amount of fun playtesting testing it. But I do think that because it is so like rules light um and you know it's it's not as if it's a like completely free form but compared to some of the games that we've already um talked mm-hmm. about it is quite rules light mm-hmm. um and it's also like structure light um there's obviously like the day and night phase structure that like parcels out time but it's very kind of self-directed about what happens in those so a lot of it comes down to um you kind of need a specific role-playing style to really, like, get the most out of this game in a way that's gonna feel, like, comfortable and natural. Um, I have to be really lucky in that regard, because when I role-play, it tends to be in, like, these meticulously planned-out ways where, like, I will see an entire arc the moment I start playing the character. And, you know, that vision that I have will often change and respond to what happens in the game... But I do have that, like, planning-heavy arc, so when we talk about that tragedy that, you know, befell Archer, that was something that was, like, very natural for me to, like, orchestrate. Um, Similarly, if you are a type of role player, uh, like Ren, the co-author who's also a player in this, who's just, like, very good at being emotionally present in the truth of the character at all times, and so can, like proactively respond to anything or generate like uh an
2: authentic feeling like way for that character to move forward. I think um, you once described Ren's style as a juggernaut of emotional honesty.
1: Yeah, 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 That's that's definitely her vibe. Um I think if you have that, then it also works out really well. But I think that for a lot of players, and this isn't to like cast aspersions on them, but they do kind of like fall in that middle space um, to say that, like, they have ideas of where they want to go, but they're also not meticulously planning things out. And in a lot of role-playing games, that can totally never, like, be a problem because you are just constantly being given things to respond to by the GM. You are being told, you know, even in more sandboxy games, like, here are the threats in this you know setting here are like the quests that you're on here are the the objectives that you have in a long term whereas here because it is so player directed um i think that like there are moments where players who don't fall on either of those extremes can kind of understandably feel like wait what do i do now like I, I'm not having this, you know, perfect setup arc from the beginning, and I, I kind of feel like I've just been bouncing around. So I think that if there are, like, criticisms, then it would be to to try to figure out some way to allow for more structure and momentum for players who, again, don't fall on either of those extremes. But I think overall, um, like I said, for me, I've been lucky and it's been an amazing experience.
2: Yeah, no, I, I want to say I think that's a totally fair you know, criticism and point to make, and it's it's something I have been thinking a bit about because uh, it is kind of difficult to try and steer between, okay, we don't want the referee to take too much creative control. I, you know, try to put things forward with NPCs. I try to put, like, story arcs forward, but it is some it is ultimately about the player characters, and that, uh, that does mean I haven't wanted to sort of codify, okay, here's how the... Um, here's how the referee sets up an antagonist for players to all go after that'll have, like, mechanical threat. Yeah. Um, And it's something, yeah, again, I'm thinking about it, I don't have an immediate sort of solution in mind in my, like, playtest notes, but it's something that's, uh, yeah, going to be worth looking into, or at the very least, giving a better structure for, like, okay, here's how to turn your plot tokens and victory tokens, the stuff you generate during play as, like, mechanical stuff, into here's a character arc that, you know, will work even if you bounce off winning the grail or even if you maybe Don't have something as cleanly defined from the start. I am optimistic about victory tokens in that respect. And I'd love to talk about that very briefly, because it's sort of the the effort to create structure organically, which has, as you say, hasn't been as easy to use as maybe we'd like in a final version. You you can please go ahead and talk about those, but before you do, just very quickly, um,
1: we were hoping to spend about half an hour talking about why your game isn't communist enough or communist in a wrong way. Um, The Hmm. the old Do Not Steal special. Hmm. Would that be all
0: right? Yeah, yeah,
1: no,
2: um, hmm.
1: No, Now, hold on a (laughs) second.
0: okay i'm lying (laughs) i'm telling a lie Um,
1: for comedy purposes
0: i would i I would actually describe fate as the example of like listen i just fate fate is a deeply imperialist like oh yeah Um, oh yeah the whole the whole thing of it basically um I really have this reading of the, you know, kind of the original fate and a lot of it, you know, or like a lot of it once the expanded, you know, kind of like the more expanded universe was to fill it in the way mages are really a power, like the way mages are really kind of a a fun, like, a f- like, you know, we gave the hegemony like magic fire powers, but they really <laughs> are just like, you know, they really are just like the systems that run the world, you know, yeah,
2: um, yeah mages are aristocratic families and one of the things i enjoy about them is how much they fuck their children up and then the children are protagonists because fate is about giving at least fate stay night is about giving a bunch of children who are deeply traumatized knives and then saying one of you gets to live <laughs> oh, Growers? well okay
0: i would say it's more about giving a bunch of trauma t- uh, i would say it's about giving a bunch of Traumatized children, knives. Uh, giving several uh, traumatized adults a gun, and then telling like two of the children that they're in a battle royale, and the others have no idea what
2: is happening. It's okay, so yeah, that's fu- fair. It's so fucking funny how bad of an idea Grail Wars are. In oh yeah, no. Um, Grail Wars are a great example of the way Fate Mages are just like we want to transcend reality and witness the face of God, and we're going to do this however we think might possibly work with no regard for common decency common sense yeah. or our own bodily function
0: i mean the whole thing is like you know it is you know when i think about kind of like fate stay night as a metaphor for power and structures right the 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 idea of a holy grail war is like you are told that this is like a, it's a battle royale, you know, kind of like it's kind of it's a meritocratic idea, right? Like everybody fights with their with their servants and their magic powers, and the strongest guy wins. Except there's a class of servants that everyone agrees is the strongest one, and if you get that one, you're pretty much set. Um, also, like um, all of you have to die for for the thing to work, and then you, as like the winning mage, are intended to backstab your spirit and like kill you know your heroic spirit and then like kill them in order to get your wish um so the whole thing is like truly rotten from the inside
2: oh yeah i mean one of the things about it is that uh, that i like about it um because it's like i said there's a humanist theme to this where like people can become anything and heroic spirits embody that because they're great men of history kind of like in the in the classical sense they are people who are outside of their time and place and like Change the world in some way. Literally, they've been summoned. They're outside of their time and place. And now you have these people are so bound up in the culture and power struggles and, like, shitty families of the present, suddenly they're trying to wield as a weapon someone with, like, the force of will and personality and, like, ahistorical, heroic, legendary magicness that they just can't even start to comprehend. And I love that dynamic where servants will transform the mage who wields them, uh, just by being a person who is not so incredibly trapped in this one moment in time, even though the servants themselves are often dragging an entire other historical period's worth of trauma with them. mm mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot going on! mm mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um... I want to go back to
1: that point about victory tokens that you were making earlier before I rudely interrupted you with my
0: lies. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I think uh, plot tokens, too, also something we should talk about. Yeah,
2: 100%. The token system. Yes, yes. There's tokens. Tokens. So this was like our major change from Firebrand when we were developing it is that Firebrands doesn't really have a... Uh, an overall structure. It has lots of little mini games that are a lot of fun um, for having your characters bouncing off each other and going in little circles, being like, "Okay, I'm going to have a duel with you," or "We're going to have a big party," or "We're going to, you know, represent the common people talking amongst themselves about our nobility." Uh, mech pilots, but what we wanted to do was have a tournament structure for a grail war and part of that was first of all Having a method of tracking who's been winning these fights either you know Narratively or literally who's been beating the other person into the ground? Uh, and we wanted to have a way for players to add to the setting and develop on it in a way That was a little bit measured out plot tokens actually happened because first of all token economies are really cool And we wanted to mess around with one but also mm-hmm. um because we didn't want players to sort of have all their plot twists and events and introduce all of this uh, extra stuff from outside their backstories quite as they thought of it, because we wanted things to be a little bit more measured and, ha- and build towards a climax. Uh, and, you know, in Fate Stay Night or in Fate Zero, things come out about characters' backstories, things come out about the world you're in, or new powers are revealed as the story goes on. So by having plot tokens... Uh, as sort of a resource that you get for, I mean, for losing a fight, you get plot tokens, for taking disadvantages. uh, There's a few ways to get them in day phases. For having your death flag up, which means if you lose a decisive conflict, you die. Um, That will give you a plot token a day, which might actually have to be increased. I'm starting to think that's a little bit stingy of the game. Um, But the basic idea is that By having plot tokens be this thing you can spend for revealing new and weird powers and backstory things, and by having it metered out by -by day-by-day events, it means that the game will hopefully get wilder and more involved and more intricate over time, starting from, here's seven teams, you don't know how they relate yet, but now you can be like, oh, well, actually we're secret sisters, or actually we're... you know, I'm your, uh, your enemy for some reason. Or actually, I have this you know buried backstory thing. Or I have the secret artifact that has been revealed. Um, spending idea... all my, plot spending
1: all my plot tokens at once to declare that I am every other PC's sister, uh, including the heroic spirits <laughs> and like people who are already like mother and daughter with each other.
3: <sighs> oh, ah. Yeah.
2: It's just like you guys all sort that out. <laughs> I spent the plot <laughs> tokens. I'm done. Uh, yeah, no. It does say that you know you should if you're doing something with another character, you get that player's you know permission. But if it's a negative thing for them, like you're revealing that you left me to die, you give them the plot token. And so that's a way that having more of these these negative bo- bonds or these things that are advantageous for your team or disadvantageous for their team can actually keep plot tokens in circulation and also. A, a, it can sweeten the deal or another way to put it is you can bribe people you can be like hey you want this thing that gives you better chances of winning fights let me write a little bit of your backstory um and the idea is that that way you can have a certain amount of uh push and pull between uh players that isn't antagonistic but does yeah. in character create antagonisms
3: mm-hmm.
0: I that's an idea I liked it's something I wish I had done more of but I was I'm, I've am i so far I've been honestly a little gun shy of that just because I I'm kind of like I'm the newest player in the playtest group and that's really something that I feel like you got to be comfortable with someone to start yeah. trying to bribe them with uh with tokens um but I like that idea um I I wish I, I wish that we had gotten more of a chance to uh, inflict horrible things on each other in exchange for tokens. <laughs>
2: yeah, for yeah, sure. No, it's yeah, it's it's definitely something where both of the playtest people have been a little bit cautious about doing that, and it is something I'm I again, I it's a thing that I'm thinking a little bit about, but I don't necessarily know how to make that easier other than just having a group that's worked together and has used the system before. So gets used to it. It might just be a sort of, you know, that's a, that's a pro gamer move.
1: For sure. And Ben, just by the way, uh, for a sneak peek later into the episode, if you want to just make my character eat shit, uh, through introducing
2: (laughs) stuff, then please feel free.
1: Please feel free to.
2: Oh yeah. Um, I'll be honest. I, uh, my, I made a, um, a servant and a mage, hopefully to bounce off, uh, your, uh, Your servant and mage as a group, but uh, I absolutely was like, I want this this mage to have just a bunch of spaces for plot tokens to be spent on her backstory. So nice, we can just pass the same plot token back and forth.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning that part of um, especially if you're creating a mage character, um, servant characters are a little more their stories are a little more set in stone, but. Uh, you are encouraged in the game to kind of leave holes in your backstory, like big questions, you know, for either yourself or other people to fill in later um, via via plot tokens. Um, and you can actually get plot tokens yourself for kind of leaving big enough spaces, um, which is which is interesting. I feel. Um,
2: Yeah, it's it's another thing that the uh, the playtest has been showing gets used a little, but nobody's you know Nobody's gone in like I'm just gonna play an amnesia. Give me as many plot tokens as I can get Uh, I actually want to see if that works sometime as like an experimental way to stress test things
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: But most people have been like, okay, here's a few, you know Here's some things that I'm comfortable leaving up in the air about my character for someone else to play into I will say that I think that we slightly overestimated how much other people will want to mess with other players' character sheets in that way, because a plot token you spend on someone else could be spent on you uh, in that particular respect. So again, it's maybe something that people, once they're more comfortable with the system, would would do more. Or maybe it just requires us to have more plot tokens in circulation.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I do think as well that like, it's it's often a tricky thing where, like I said, this isn't a, a super, like, optimization power gamey type game, but mm-hmm. plot tokens are one of the only real visible points of mechanical optimization, in that, like, mm. spending a plot token on a decisive conflict gives you an extra 10% chance of winning it. So, because these can be both used for, like, giving myself a better chance to accomplish a practical goal, and also introducing something cool into the narrative for another character um it can often be tempting to just say that like okay well i should really keep these in reserve to use on my own character and just make sure that i have the best chances to achieve my narrative and practical goals
0: yeah uh my experience with plot tokens so far i think has generally i mean you made a comment earlier ben about wanting to like up the level of plot tokens you get from having your death flag up which is the mechanic by which like a character is able to die in the game and Mm -hmm. i i feel like my experience with them has been like kind of wishing that i had more of them to spend mainly um i i definitely had some moments in the playtest part where i was kind of like well, I have these ideas, but I feel really kind of, like, wedded to this big, and this was partially me, I think, painting myself in a corner narratively, but I felt like, you know, I gotta spend all these plot tokens on getting stronger so I don't get, like, (laughs) knocked out of the story entirely. Yeah. So, I don't feel like I can really go down these avenues of, like, other ideas that I have. Yeah. Because, to to be clear, there are, like,
1: There are ways to spend
0: one plot token,
1: but then there are also, like, some ways to spend it uh, in the game book that are, say, like, you need six plot tokens to do this, you know, major ascension in power. I needed eight.
0: You needed eight? That's so fucking many. I needed eight, which means I kind of had to... (laughs) I sort of had to power game a little bit. Um, Yeah. And I... I don't know. I wish that somebody would have tried to give me, like, a three plot token, like bad plot twists i would have been like yes please thank you thank you very much
2: (laughs) yeah no it's it's definitely something where i think that finding ways to i don't want to totally increase the number of plot tokens floating around just because i do think that the slow accretion of plot tokens over the first few uh, like, day cycles, is really helpful for, again, pacing things. But I also don't want people to feel constrained that way. So either maybe reducing the suggested costs of various things in the uh, game book, um, which they are—they're suggested, they're like, here's a twist you could do. And there's a couple that have, like, mechanical elements. Oh, one of them is Fate Eater, which I'm, I'm very proud of, actually. Uh, Ren came up with the name as well, which is uh, great. Um, And Fate Eater is the idea that if you can get, I think it's like 12 plot tokens. So this is like, you have to, you do have to power game a little. And the way you power game for Fate Eater is basically by making your character's life miserable. You lose fights, (laughs) you take on bad uh, backstory, you uh, give yourself sad backstory that gets refunded with plot tokens. Maybe we should make it possible to refund more than you put in for giving yourself or getting given sad backstory. That might be a way to uh, pace that in a slightly different way. And then once you go Fate Eater, it's uh, it's like the Heaven's Feel route of Fate Stay Night. Something has gone so drastically wrong that you individually are now a threat to the entire Grail War and possibly the world. And you are eating the plot. Uh, again, Heaven's Feel. Um, and so this was an attempt to sort of both mechanize that and create a way that things could go to absolute hell but it also generates more victory tokens than other uh, possible routes. You start building up your own stash of victory tokens, and when you have more than anyone else in the game while doing Fate Eater, the entire game just collapses into, okay, you are now too big to ignore. The next night is just everyone versus you or, you know, siding with you if they just hate life for some reason because you are now an existential threat. And And then whoever, you know, is sort of, narratively decided makes the most sense to be the one to defeat you as you know by discussion among the players gets a ton of your vic- You gets half your victory tokens that you've been developing and building up this way um, So what this allows is that uh, Going fade eater can have a pretty broad effect on the plot and potentially get you taken out either early or as like the climax of the game But it also requires really saying okay. No, this is what I'm doing with my character I want to cause this particular kind of sort of disruptive thing, so I'm going to back off from a lot of other narrative involvement before kicking that into gear. And there's uh, someone in the, like, the very large other playtest, which has, like, 11 players or something. I don't know why we did that to ourselves. Um, it's, it's run on Discord, it's mostly play-by-post, um, who is planning on going Fade Eater and has been, like, s- sketching that out to be able to go Fade Eater on, like, the fourth night. Um, we're very excited for seeing how that develops but it's very much an experimental thing Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah there are there's definitely things where we want there to be more accessibility to backstory hooks and to developing that kind of gothic interpersonal complexity that fate loves Um, it's something we're working on
0: yeah I think I think my like if I had kind of a single general want I think it would be like some way to encourage players to like feel more comfortable being involved in other players stories like whether Mm -hmm. that is negative plot twists or linking characters together via like character relationships um and i i'm no game design (laughs) expert so sorry to to just kind of you know (laughs) kind of like take a take a drag on my cigar and be like well here's an idea that i thought might be interesting (laughs) no i I really appreciate it some way I'm to just like
1: doing the now this all Bowser character tweet for game design.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now this fate eater boy, <laughs> uh, but yeah, some I think I think mainly what I found myself wanting is like something, something I think like more mechanical or kind of like more in the structure of the game to encourage me as a player to get get more involved with the other players, yeah. um, mm. and not not feel like I'm imposing on that you know i think that's one of the the main benefits of like putting this in the structure of the game is saying like this is an okay thing to do like yes you can get you can like you know um set yourself up as having like betrayed or like um manipulated a character in the past and that's not like you being a jerk that's like part of the game it could be that you Mm -hmm. have like a
1: dedicated system or resource just for that because again like We talked about how when you have these plot tokens or opportunities to get plot tokens, you want them for yourself and not to hand off to other people. Um, So if there's like a a separate track on which that happens, I think it would be a a good option to just, you know, uh, increase the amount of interpersonal misery. misery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) I think one thing we might want to do, because something I've also been thinking about that hasn't come up, is that one or two of the, uh, the day phase actions were a little bit anemic, it feels like a lot of things are falling into the sort of generic strange discovery or some of the day phase actions that are sort of an action occurs. You know, something happens, it doesn't have a structure to it as much. Um, We've tried to, the structures are useful for sort of hopefully setting up genre, for making sure things feel like fate, but it would also maybe be a good idea to have an explicit like, okay, this day phase action is a flashback of a particular kind. You talk about some connection to someone else in your backstory, they get a plot token, you get a plot token, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like, basically giving free backstory twists like that, and rewarding players for doing that. Um, In the same way that I think Spy works really well. Spy is a day phase action where you can gather information about another player, and if you learn something that's dangerous to them for you to know, you get they get a plot token and you you know give them a disadvantage of your choosing. Whereas if you don't learn anything, you get a plot token and they explain how they blocked your uh, your spot your efforts of spying. So it sets up a thing where there's a little bit more push and pull. I'm very happy with that one. It's worked out quite well in practice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think more stuff like that is like a good way to get players more involved with each other um, and make it so like that the the game relies less on. The the game relies less on, like, established relationships between players who are comfortable with, like, Mm. you know, interacting in that way.
2: Um, Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, if you don't mind a little bit of typing noise, I'm just going to (laughs) put that down.
0: My influence.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Do Not Steal, a podcast where we bully our friends into (laughs) making updates (laughs) to their games.
0: Do not steal, but do take our suggestions. yeah, (laughs) yeah.
2: Uh, no, um, it's... I'm honestly just super happy that people care enough about this game to be like, hey, you should do things this way. It yeah. really feels good. Uh, do we
1: have anything else we want to talk about with the game before we... Victory let...
2: tokens. Victory yes.
1: tokens, yes. Victory tokens. Oh my god, we've tried to talk about victory tokens <laughs> so many times.
2: All right. uh, we need to talk this about this victory tokens.
0: Um, you win a fight, you yeah. get victory tokens. Yes. Um yes. Then you get to the end of the game, and if you didn't die, you spend your victory tokens on outcomes for your character. You can spend victory tokens if you died. Like, oh,
1: yeah. Like it's just you know you obviously can't spend a victory token to say that like my character is fine. Um, <laughs> But you can, like, spend them on giving happier endings to other characters or mm. whatnot.
2: Yeah, there's a there's a number of options, and, and part of the goal here was very much like, okay, fate is a kind of tragic genre. It has that element, and there are things you can do to make it less tragic, but a lot of them involve characters heroically sacrificing themselves. Um, so part of the logic behind the victory token math is that uh, heroic spirits have to get a lot of victory tokens behind them to not fade away at the end of the story because that's sort of their role in the genre so a heroic spirits player is sort of encouraged to either you know maybe there's some there's a situation where they're going to spend like you know eight victory tokens to still be walking around after the story but they're much more likely to benefit from say i spend three victory tokens to give my legacy to npc or pc I have made their life better. They've adopted some element of my, you know, philosophy. Obviously, a PC would have to okay that. Uh, whereas PCs uh, who are mages have uh, have to ha- don't have to spend any victory tokens to survive if they've lived through the Grail War, uh, but do have to spend two to not be sort of lessened the way Kiritsugu is uh, before Fate Stay Night to be to have sort of come out of this in a negative way, and it takes uh, even more tokens to have grown and developed as a person, which is what I'd say most of the, like, Fate Stay Night, Endgame Shiro Emias are, is someone who has really not not just grown as a person emotionally and personally, but also, like, in power, in influence, in capacity to deal with the world. Um, And the big idea here, again, was that this would create a certain genre requirement. It would create certain payoffs for getting second rather than first. And it also creates uh, what I think is sort of the the cruelest, but also maybe one of the, the best little mechanical twists we've thought of, which is if you would die in a fight, you can spend a victory token to survive. And there's a way in which you can, by clinging on to survival with characters, um, effectively lessen the pool of victory tokens for everyone, uh, because one of the themes of fate is this sort of brutal calculus of people trying to win a battle royale and some of them, uh, some of them, you know, choosing to sacrifice themselves, usually heroic spirits sacrificing themselves to keep their masters alive, uh, but also generally recognizing that either walking away or, uh, you know, being willing to give your life for a cause helps everything else maybe be a little bit better. It's, I'm not endorsing that as a moral statement, just sort of a genre statement about the stories.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it took me it took me a while to get that aspect mm-hmm. of the the mm-hmm. victory token systems. I'll admit there were like a few weeks where you were talking about like lessening the pool of overall victory tokens, and I was like, "What is that about?" <laughs> but I, I i finally got it at like week, let's say five. Yeah. <laughs> um. And I do I do like the idea that like you can hold you can kind of hold on to your potential to win the grail war at the cost of like having a worse life at the end of all this stuff um which is interesting to me
2: yeah and and there's things like fate eater again uh by creating a more i mean horror themed or you know uh distorted grail war in certain senses creates also a bunch of victory tokens so if you make it through that particularly hellish death flags going up everywhere mode uh your end game can be better because heavens feel end game is probably the best of the fate stay nights and we thought that was sort of thematically effective and wanted to try and replicate it Um, there's a certain amount of like see thing in fate stay night go how do we make this tokens
0: (laughs) trying to (sighs) translate it kind of similar to what we talked about with molly on the eidolon episode of like trying to see interesting like kind of fictional turns of the inspiring source material and then thinking like how do we put this in in the tabletop game i have Mm -hmm. uh, i have an idea it's to make
1: it a D &D fifth edition hack
3: you stop that (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> you cut that out. Olivia just wagged her finger at me disapprovingly. I did just, Thank you, I did, Olivia. I did just Thank probably you. ruin the sound quality by turning turning 90 degrees and pointing at her. But yeah. such was my discontent. No, listen,
1: I, I deserved it fully.
0: <laughs> um, I think... um. Similarly, something that reminded me, I wanted to talk about uh, the poison chalice aspect of the game,
2: mm, where yeah,
0: you are you are strongly incentivized to um, destroy the idea of the the Holy Grail um, by by yep. saying that it does it does not work as advertised. It will not grant you wishes. This whole thing is a lie. But you get some plot tokens if you vote for that. I think it's yeah, a, I think it's a majority of the players thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, majority of players, including referee, because the GM is a player, um, and if you have multiple referees, obviously the referee team could vote in different directions, but basically it's at any time you can, by introducing something with a plot twist or a backstory element or even a thing you're doing now that aims towards the grail is fucked up. Um, The grail is, you know, it's evil, or it's not going to do what we want, or there's there's some secret or problem with it. You get, I think, two plot tokens, um... But you permanently voted Grail is Poison. And if half or more of the players vote that, then Grail is Poison at the end of the game. Also, if you win, you can choose to say, I've got the Grail and it's Poison um, at that time because uh, there are some character concepts where the Grail functioning and them getting a wish isn't actually what the player wants. Um, So the I... You know, we didn't really want there to be quite a backstab if you have this tragic arc for your character and like, uh, nope, actually you win, just doesn't seem desirable. Uh, So if you win and want that tragedy, you can have it. Uh, Also, it's very much in line with, again, Fate Stay Night and Fate Zero that the Grail turns out to be a a false promise in a certain way. So that's, that's there also so that, again, it's a bit of a genre mechanism where players can choose to have a little bit more power, but if enough of them choose that, then thematically it's sort of driving towards this thing. It's a little bit bleeding between out-of-character and in-character, sort of, you know, seeking after power, seeking after narrative power in a way that I admit is a little bit muddled thematically, but I think it makes for a good... At the table experience, people thinking about voting poison chalice have generally uh, generally had a fun time with it, as far as I can tell.
0: Mm-hmm. I yeah. wish, I wish, I find myself wishing I had gone for poison chalice. I guess I always <laughs> could in the in the playtest game, but I had a great opportunity to just poison that thing, and I forgot about it. Oh. <laughs> <Aww. laughs> But but I, I wish I wish when I had gotten my my character all all Grail juiced up I had I had put something spooky in there and you can always do a flashback. Don't have true.
2: to don't have
0: to that, do things in linear order. I just feel like a lot of other things have happened to Max right now, and the the narrative <laughs> flow would be messed up if I went back and said, "Yeah, by the way, the weird body altering thing that happened to him like th- three days ago that was
2: that was the serious one." Yeah, fair enough. (sighs) But yeah, so there's a bunch of like endgame mechanics that, uh, you know, obviously the playtests are getting towards those and what we've what how they've entered into the game so far has been has been good. But that's something where one of my notes is check endgame math when we get to endgame. Yeah, that actually is something I want to mention. It's a little bit more referee side if, uh, you know, if anyone ends up wanting to play this game or, or is doing something similar, which is thinking about how to structure a tournament like this and how to, like, make sure that people are getting a good number of direct conflicts with each other and with others. is making me really respect people who can, like, write a tournament arc in anything. Uh, it's It's a lot. It's just constantly making decisions that really matter. And obviously with players being like, okay, I want to fight them, or I want to fight them. That, out of my hands, it's great. But thinking about how to make these sort of uh, tournament structures work, one thing uh, Ren and I vaguely have planned, or at least I have planned, and I've talked about it with Ren, uh, is to, at some point, maybe for the, if we get to a final version of this, and want it, and, you know, people are, feel free to mess with the playtest document if you ever get get your hands on it, good listeners. Uh, But going to try and put more, like, tournament structures in there that show different ways this could be organized. Mm. Uh, Because I think that's, again, a place where we're expecting players to be maybe more proactive than people are comfortable with in terms of structuring things as they go.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I think that is... Tournament arcs, I feel like they get a bad rap narratively, but they're (laughs) actually quite difficult to pull off and, like, also very satisfying when you Mm. can pull them off. But, yeah, I think something i i think it's very hard to do and so any kind of guidance you could give towards like referees or people running the game i think is i think is valuable to put in um yeah yeah uh do we do we want to do characters we could um
1: I wanted to give Ben briefly, if he wanted, a chance to talk about his uh, previous oh. experience trying to make a fate <laughs> tabletop game. Right, the,
2: um, oh god, the, let's, the, let's the true not get poison Let's
1: on this, but to, to, to kind of give us a great idea of how far we've come, I'd love to give you a oh. few minutes to just talk about what this game was, uh, or what the previous attempt at this game was.
2: Yeah, so... The, the, the backstory is that Ren and I ran a Fate game in college uh, that was mostly done by, like, Google Chat. It was called Fate Keeter. I think if you go it, you can probably find the live journal where, like, some of the rules were put forward. And That, uh, Hannah was in it, um, playing Caster. Uh, Caster was lovely. Um, we had a That's number of boss. lovely players. We had some... Not-so-lovely players. Uh, I don't feel like going into them right now, but there's there's reasons why the game did not reach its conclusion apart from the fact that it was a mechanical nightmare. Um, because Fake Heater was our first attempt at, like, a, a, a system for playing a Grail War, and we went much more, like, traditional RPG on it. Uh, you know, you have a character sheet with, like, different stats. You have a stat total. Here are some little mechanics. It was still homebrew, so it was relatively simple. And, frankly, it... That didn't help. Um, One of the major issues is that it expected a lot of, like, people being prepared to do gives and takes in... Uh, combat, but uh, obviously when you have two mechanical sets where people are supposed to be fighting, what you get is people trying really really hard to explain why, you know, no, my thing is applicable, there's no give-and-take here, I'm just going to win, um, and find mechanical ways to do that. Uh, It also was set up like a like a control board, like there was a city with a bunch of locuses in it. It was a lot less player collaborative and a lot more player antagonistic. (sighs) and it had a lot of hidden information. And that's that's one thing yeah. that um, we haven't mentioned yet, but there's basically no actual hidden information in the structure of Ignite Array. Like, yeah. a person can have things in their mind and be thinking about it, but it's designed to be, okay, everyone sees everyone's character sheet, everyone knows what's been spent on what, everything is in the open, because this isn't about trying to, like, Maybe you could bluff someone with, like, uh, if you wanted to play this competitively, you could have, like, you know, I'm, you know, I know I'm totally going to back you up, I'm going to drop out and bluff people like that, but I don't see a reason to do that. It's much more interesting to build this collaboratively and talk about tricking each other on the in-character level. Fake Heater was all out-of-character trickery for that kind of hidden information stuff. And this led to weird little alliances, and there were too many players. Uh, There was, like, a complete deadlock because nobody wanted to be the one to start fights because then you look like a bad guy.
1: Yeah, it was was (sighs) very much like a weird social brinksmanship game more than it was, like, an attempt at collaborative storytelling. Um, And and to give an example of how the hidden information stuff (laughs) panned out, like, (laughs) the character that I I was given was, as Ben said, caster, this, like, very, you know, manipulative, like, con woman. Um, And uh, I had been telling a lot of lies to other teams, and uh, then Ben just gave me access to the Google Doc where a bunch of these uh, players who were in, like, a clandestine alliance were like oh. planning out all their every moves and i remember just reading it and being like oh you guys are all dumb as shit like you've believed <laughs> every single lie that i've told you oh, and so yeah. you're I... planning meticulously how to do shit to me
2: that's completely useless yeah and it's
1: that... it's oh. it was fun for
2: me but like that can't be the foundation of a game that works no no that was i expected so much less like social brinksmanship and conspiracies and stuff. And so I had uh, proposed for Castor. Um, so something I don't think we've mentioned yet, but is maybe important to people for understanding the naming conventions is that in, in Fate stories, uh, tr- summoned heroes go by their like class title, like in D&D, like if you called someone fighter and they're yeah. like generally their weapon or their like style. So there's like, what is it? caster, Archer, Berserker, Saber. I'm not going to go through them all. There's like seven standard and a few extra. Um, you can look these up using google.com. sponsor oh google.com, check them out, see what they've got.
0: I can just say them, right? Like it's Sabre. <laughs> it's Sabre, Lancer Archer, rider, caster, assassin, Berserker, and then the extra ones are like ruler, foreigner, Avenger. No. Something. Yeah. If
1: you want to know what all the extra ones are, you can go to our official sponsor, Google.com. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, or the that. Fate Wiki. We are not we are not sponsored by the Fate Wiki because the Fate Wiki is not a place of honor.
1: No. Uh,
2: um, but yeah. In any case, uh, Castor was uh, a character based on um, Cagliostro, a famous occultist of the I want to say late 18th, early 19th centuries, um, or uh, century May- back. Because oh. he was involved in, uh,
1: like, the American Revolution and the French Revolution.
2: Yeah, yeah, and the, and the Affair of the Necklace and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, he's also, like, a super big conspiracy figure because he was just an absolute con man. Uh, in this version, she was an absolute con woman and super cool. I, I really liked caster. And oh, ha- was all conspiracy-themed because it's a caster who did not actually do magic in life, yeah. but convinced a lot of mages that she did. Um, and that meant that she had, like, the power to eavesdrop on other people's conspiracy planning, uh, by her noble phantasm, and that was why I gave Hannah, like, a bunch of Google Doc access that, in retrospect, was a terrible GMing move. Do not do this. (laughs) It sounds clever. It's straightforwardly just an awful decision, and the fact that the game imploded before we got to the point where a bunch of extremely, like, uh twitchy conspiracy minded in the sense of like they liked to conspire uh players some of whom were not handling things very well generally or personally found out that i'd been forwarding all their google docs to hannah that would have i'm so glad this is coming out in a in a podcast like a a, almost a decade later because oh boy and i also don't talk to half of them anymore so yeah yeah uh... dodge the bullet
0: I heard hidden information and I just started shaking my head. Cause I feel like, <laughs> I feel like that's the classic red flag of the like game that I played in college. Oh yeah. It's, it's just oh, like, yes.
1: there, there is, you never want to have a game where like there is a hidden stat, which is like, how much of a sociopath are you
2: willing to be? <laughs> oh yeah. No. um, uh, Just again, I, I don't want to go into too deep detail about our, our problem players, but, uh, one of them was apparently making some other players cry on the regular, berating them for, like, not playing nice. And I didn't know about this. As a GM, because, again, it was all by Google Chat, and it only came out later. I was just like, I'm sorry, he was doing what? Yeah. And, yeah, so that game, not uh-huh. great. And a lot of a lot of, uh, Ignite Array is kind of reactive design to, like, okay, this failed horribly in these ways this yeah
1: kind of and, and, worked and, and, in these ways and that's why i wanted to bring it up uh just to to kind of give a sense of the context that informed so many of these decisions uh because yeah. in many ways like you said this game is designed for like how can we make this never be
2: fake
3: header
2: <laughs> yeah yeah no um yeah fake header will hopefully never live again. Certainly this system won't help revive it, so that Hell that yeah. particular style of doing a grail war online, just not, not happening. Hmm. Oh. Alright. I
1: feel like that just about covers it for the game yep. part of this. Um, we can start talking about our characters. characters Hell yeah. Time.
0: Uh, yeah so our our general setup for this was as as we've said, these Grail Wars are conducted in teams of two, one mage and one servant, and so what we've done since we have three people is that Hannah and I are a team where I've made the servant uh the heroic spirit, she's made the mage who is the summoner, and then ben Ben has two <laughs> we, we we just like Ben have two characters um for fun, uh so yeah. Yay. Which which side? I feel like we should do our side first. Yeah, let's do it. Um, and I feel like you specifically should do your character first, because yeah. narratively it is the mage and then the heroic spirit. Okay. Yeah,
1: and I think that this works out well, because my character doesn't know shit about shit, so <laughs> it's, it's like a good order of learning things. It's like, first I learn who I am, then I learn who my servant is, and then I learn who literally any other mage is.
0: Yeah, you want to go through like everybody's everybody's like high concept first
1: yeah let's do it all
0: right Uh, Mm -hmm. let's do
1: like high concept and and, and motivation into grail war Mm -hmm. um because like character sheets in this are very free form um because again there's not a whole lot of mechanics it's just like a biographical write-up um and like prose descriptions of some abilities and resources and whatnot and importantly those questions that we mentioned that you leave open for uh plot token filling so okay who have i made here Well, her name is Remy Augustine Adair. Uh, She is a professional assassin who operates in the mundane world, not the world of mages, and who stumbled into the Grail War kind of on accident. Um, She assassinated a target that she didn't realize was a mage, and now she's being hunted by mages and uh, entered the Grail War in an attempt to, like, press buttons that might get her out of this. (laughs) Um, In most situations, she would be like the archetypal, like, you know, master hitman, right? Like very cool and composed and striking. But here she's completely out of her element. She's hopelessly confused and desperate for a safe way out. What is her grail war motivation? Well, she wants safety from the world of mages in perpetuity. She would love to have the ability to ensure that no mage will ever harm her or her loved ones. Um, To be honest, she has no idea what the granting of such a wish would even look like. It's just the only really hopeful thing she can think of right now. Which, you know, I don't think there's much risk of this character as I've just described her winning the Grail War. (laughs) But I'm just imagining, like, a version where the monkey's paw uh, instantiation of this is that, like, okay, she is now immune from harm by mages, and... So now constantly has mages knocking on her door being like, hey, can you assassinate my rival? Because, <laughs> like, you're invincible against uh. us. Oh, uh,
0: no. Uh. All right. Yeah. So, so Remy, Remy pushes some buttons and she yeah, she's she's in her
1: safe house. She's holed up and terrified and just like, okay, the guy that I assassinated had this stuff on him. If I maybe follow these instructions. And, uh, what happens when she follows those instructions?
0: Uh, well, uh, she summons Ryder, um, uh, servant Ryder being, um, Sir Kay, uh, of Arthurian myth. Uh, Kay, also Mm. called Kai in Welsh, uh, Kay or Kay in Middle Welsh, Caius in Latin, and K in French. Uh, sometimes called Sir Kay or Kay the Tall.
1: Those <laughs> <laughs> too tall as hell. <laughs> you should have hooped instead of being the Grail War.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so Kay in Arthurian myth is, oh, if you don't know Fate's Day Night, they make King Arthur a girl, and I've just gone with that, <laughs> so.
2: Yeah, she's uh, pretty cool. She's,
0: she's pretty cool she's pretty cool she's, we like she's her. the classic one we all know her yeah and i saw yeah. no reason to mess with that so this is why instead of arthur i'm going to refer to artoria so kay in in fate arthurian myth is king artoria's foster brother uh her seneschal and the, one of the first of the knights of the round table um this version of kay is older uh having spent his life in the service of um his sibling who he once thought would like never be anything better than his squire Um, and having seen, like, the kingdom of Camelot and all of the events of Arthurian myth kind of, like, rise and fall. Um, so he's old, he's bitter, he's sad, um, but he still has a powerful sword, kind of legendary endurance, um, and an equally sharp both, like, sense of insight and also, um harsh tongue. He is always insulting people. No. Um, cause he's, he's a rude bitch. Um, he also has a cursed heart, um, that can briefly kind of, like, return him to his former fighting glory, uh, but at kind of a greater cost to his body and the mage who summoned him each time. And oh, his... wait. Wait, that seems unfair. <laughs> Why do I get implicated? Okay. <laughs> um, cause it, because... Uh, you know, Cursed Hearts, they require a lot of magic, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. And kind of the whole point of the summoner is to provide magic, so... Yeah. Uh,
2: you're gonna get some yeah. blowback.
0: Anyway, Kay's motivation is to go back in time and become king of England.
2: Oh, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> Just like, okay, the, the, the mythic Artoria, nice enough, didn't work out, I'm gonna try a boring normal king.
0: <laughs> um. Yeah, he... You know, I don't want to get too into it, but basically he's like... Yeah. He spent his whole life kind of serving this this person and thought I could do that shit better. <laughs> so that's his plan. <laughs> God. <sighs> uh, Ben, what about your team?
2: Okay, so... Uh, I've got a team that are a lot more like... Uh, I mean, intentional? Intentional, I think is the right word. Because um, yeah. Amalia 6 Thedrush, which... I'll be honest, I just wrote a mage family assed name and didn't think about how I was going to pronounce it until (laughs) the start of the podcast. So in the back of my head, I've been going, Thedrush? Thedrush? Thedrush. Let's go with Thedrush. And her concept is that she is a soft-spoken murderer full of regret and in need of someone to pull her out of her servant's orbit, except when she revels in the rush of power and health from uh, her killing magecraft. Um... And her Grail War motivation is revenge. Her family, the Thedrush clan, were pushed into obscurity and out of, like, polite mage society by their enemies, a more successful faction. Uh, And they want nothing more than to use the incredible power of the Grail to just wipe that other faction from the face of the earth. Very straightforward, very bad wish. Um... And in fact, there's a uh, there's an open plot question in that Grail War motivation. What family or organization do they want to ruin? Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Uh, thank you. And uh, unsurprisingly, she's summoned Avenger, one of the extra classes. And my my favorite take on the Avenger class is that it's basically a um, it's an error notice rather than an actual class mage. This is a class like vessel it's a uh it's an um it's a it's a toxic waste container that the grail slaps around a servant that is just not going to be healthy for the world uh and in this case she summoned avenger ahab <laughs> captain of the Pequod, <laughs> hater of whales oh. wait wait okay wait settle this
1: for me because esther and i were debating on this because she insisted that ahab just hates the one whale but i insisted that he has uh, at least antipathy for
2: the whales in general. You know, this is actually discussed by Ishmael in a, a chapter we covered recently. So Ishmael oh opens the possibility that he... Welcome to a that surprise episode always. of Piggledy Piggledy Whale <laughs> <Dame. laughs> So, So in this case, I do want to say that this is a bit changed to fit sort of fate setting, because do you know what's a canonical thing in fate? What's that? Moby Dick is a divine beast class phantasmal beast, quote, more of a living super weapon than a living creature, and is compared to the mythological creature from Greek myth Typhon.
0: You know, that's not that different from Moby Dick. I think he's just a mess <laughs> I mean, fellow. I'd argue
2: that's basically the same thing, but yeah. So, uh... His purpose, like his grail goal, is to kill the white whale, Moby Dick. He's going to use the grail to nuke that whale from orbit, wherever it is, however it exists, whatever it is. The grail, just gonna shoot it at a whale.
0: Great. Wonderful, wonderful group of human <laughs> beings. All right. Yeah. Alright. <laughs>
1: I'm starting to see how these four will relate to each other. Uh. Well,
2: I hope.
0: Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm not 100% up on the like format of the mage character sheet, Hannah. What yeah. are your next fields? Mine is, like, the legend of the heroic spirit. Basically. Yeah, I mean,
1: I have, like, appearance, background, and personality, which I kind All of, right. like, got into already, um, but yeah, I can just, like, briefly summarize what's in those that um, I, I haven't mm-hmm. already mentioned. Um, her look basically is most of the time, uh, she's just, like, a casual butch, like, you know, white tank top, black leather jacket, jeans, um, short blonde hair, uh, but she does have, like, a formal outfit that she typically wears when she's, like, meeting with elite clients or her fellow elite hitmen. Um, I kind of imagine her as being part of, like, somewhere between, like, a John Wick continental assassin world and, like, a um like a a hitman world of assassination assassin world it's it's very like extra and i think that like a big part of why she's so like frustrated and exhausted and, and short-tempered and bitter right now is that like she kind of imagined that she was going to that she had already like found the cool secret elite underworld and now she's found out that like, oh no, there's like <laughs> another one of those and it's full of mages oh. and they could blow up my secret underworld in an instant if they wanted to. <laughs> oh.
0: um, but I, the... thought, I thought I was the big fish. Yeah. In, like, pond. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, her formal outfit is just like a, a slim cut dark suit with a maroon shirt and a turquoise bolo tie because uh, like she's from the Southwest and I think that as she's entered this um assassin world she's kind of like tried to play up the fact that like oh i come from this legendary family of pioneer gunslingers um and like you know i guess it would be possible that you know jack adair like my great 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 grandfather could have been summoned as like a heroic spirit of some kind um she didn't get him as it turns out um (laughs) but yeah she she's from this like legendary family of gunslingers and they've kind of like fallen on hard times in recent generations because like they made the mistake of believing in their like legend rather than marketing off it. So a lot of just like, you know, sending kids off to war in ways that actually get them killed instead of just padding their resumes. Um, and, you know, she kind of is trying to reverse that a little bit and say like, okay, well, I can actually trade on this and and make it like a calling card a bit um so yeah that's that's basically like her backstory appearance um and as far as like personality like i've mentioned outside of the last few days she's like very cool and composed and you know uh kind of playing that part of like the laconic master hit woman but a lot of that is her just being like okay well i've been buffeted around my whole life i've had like a shitty upbringing and you know i've i've been forced to like find work as a hit woman to support my family because like we're teetering on the brink of financial ruin at all times and you know she's she's felt like life has given her a lot of raw deals but she finally like settled into something that seemed like it could work and now she's been told like guess what asshole it doesn't work at all <laughs> um and She's, like, desperately trying to to get back to a situation where she can feel like she's in control again. Um, and I think that any, you know, any interaction that seems to, like, acknowledge this of her, that, like, acknowledges that she's, like, cool or competent in some way would be probably pretty easily able to, like, win her over or manipulate her in this point. Because um, she's just, like, so tired of like not knowing what's going on and like olivia said being the small fish in a big pond all of a sudden Mm
3: -hmm.
0: i was going to say that she she didn't get her great great grandfather but she got somebody's great great grandfather (laughs) (laughs) that's right um yeah so so Ryder k is um he's my, like, fi- visual for him is that he's kind of very much an old man, but you can tell that he's an old man who spent, like, most of his life, like, fighting on medieval battlefields. Um, He's still very tall. I did some... When I was doing kind of mythical research, repeatedly Kay was, like, described as this very tall figure in some in some mythologies he was like ascribed with the ability to like change his size to just grow very tall but I didn't go with that so I just made him six and a half feet tall just boy's huge All right. um for for kind of his look um I would I like describe this whole thing and then I found a picture of Geralt from Witcher 3 that I posted in the chat that was really just the vibe that I'm looking for um kind of bitter, bitter, grumpy looking old man with a mustache, a big facial scar, and kind of like um, you know, kind of like a longer, graying hair that he's kind of like you know, sweep back into a bun um.
2: Kind of lank. Hmm? Kind of lank. Like uh.
0: Lanky. Lanky, okay. Yeah, um, he also has this kind of like it's like all black armor um, uh, which is striking but it, it's kind of like plainly adorned it just kind of has like some some white trim on it um he is basically like biography and an abridged version of like the story of Kay he's very much a minor character in Arthurian myth um but he is like Artoria's foster brother um in their childhood you know he was kind of like he was the proper noble heir to Sir Ector who raised both of them and Artoria was like you know, the the stable hand, basically, or, like, the squire. Um, so, kind of, like, as a kid, you know, it's remarked that Kay was, like, not an unpleasant person, but he was, like, you know, the son of a noble. And so was, like, entitled and, you know, kind of, like, treated everybody as though, you know, as though they were beneath him in the way that, like, a, per, uh, like a noble child does. Um, and then what ends up happening, you know, if you're familiar with Arthurian myth, is that um Artoria like pulls out the sword and the stone and everyone recognizes her as the the hottest shit in the world. <laughs> um and Kay is like immediately demoted to her second hand, or like her right hand man. Um to his credit, he, you know, he takes he's by all accounts, he takes that pretty well. Um and even though he remains kind of like a harsh man, you know, like He's always kind of known for his, like, kind of harsh tongue towards people and being stern towards them, but his loyalty to Artoria is kind of, like, never questioned in any of these. Um, he's listed as, like, you know, not the best fighter in of the Knights of the Round Table, but pretty good by all accounts, and always dependable, like... Lancelot will go get himself involved in some bullshit. Um, <laughs> oh. uh, Kay is a flirt and he likes sleeping with women, but he's always going to be like ready to ready to go if something big is going on. You know, um, he's also noted to be like very good at at management. Basically, like he was the seneschal of Camelot and was just very good <laughs> at making sure everyone has what they need money and supplies don't go to waste and that like we are we are ship shape around here and part of his sort of like harsh manner is like he kept he keeps people in line basically um Mm -hmm. uh one of the kind of interesting things about him and like where i want to put this kind of backstory question is that Kay's eventual fate kind of differs and is unclear depending on who you ask who you like version of Arthurian myth you're looking at. In some versions he is just kind of killed in a duel and Arturia has to avenge him. There are some uh version there are multiple versions where he's killed in like wars with like the Romans or the French, um, just as kind of a casualty of war. And there are some versions which are like that say he survives all the way to like the betrayal of Mordred and the 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 Battle of Camlum and actually survives past that so he outlives arthur um or artoria altogether um i think his age in this one certainly implies kind of the latter backstory but Mm -hmm. he doesn't talk about that you know you know remy can ask Mm -hmm. him like hey so like what went down and he does not answer but he's clearly like upset about it basically um Mm -hmm. but yeah as for his personality he kind of has this like slightly paradoxical mix where he's a very loyal person but he's also a really harsh person um and so he's you know he's quick on the insults and he's very (laughs) rude um but he's never like disloyal or you know um he's never like you know he's on your side but the second you mess up he's going to yell at you or like make fun of you Mm -hmm. because can I can I ask a question
1: then about like an interaction Mm -hmm. um I think that because Remy just does not know what she's doing with the grail ritual, Mm -hmm. um, the moment she sees like this anachronistically dressed person pop in, the assumption has to be that like, this is an agent of the mages that are like, hunting me. And so I think that the first thing that she does is pull a gun on him. Um, And I'm wondering how we would react to
0: that. I think he would probably like do sick martial arts to disarm the gun, <laughs> and then like berate her for her gun handling technique. Oh, you know, no. <laughs> like, you ever seen? If, you ever seen that bit of Metal Gear Solid Three? Yeah, episode? yeah, <laughs>
2: like that. But what if he was way meaner about it? You know, if I can, if I can suggest something, he could oh, also sweet. let her take the shots because it's it's not a magic gun. I get the impression, and servants are basically just yeah. able to ignore non non-magical non-magecraft weapons because uh, they're spirits mm-hmm. so i really enjoy the idea of uh remy like taking the shot just immediately uh kay just watching her bullet ping off him and bounce around the room and then telling her off for making such a bad decision
1: <laughs> yeah i i think that the, the sequence of events is that like she pulls the gun like quick draws and shoots him it bounces off harmlessly like she sighs and holsters a gun and is just like, well, whatever's going to happen here is going to happen. <laughs> and then he starts berating her and she realizes like, oh, this is like the berating, this this is like berating that reminds me of like, you know, my drill sergeants at ranger school, not like of someone who's about to kill me. Mm-hmm. And I think that like it slowly dawns on her like mid-rat that he's on her side. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think the last like personality note that I want for i I'm really inspired by this one quote that comes from, um, comes from uh, the book of uh, uh, the Once and Future King, which is a kind of Aww. like narrativistic, like which is like a narrative of Arthurian myth, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, by T. H. White, um, and there is a bit where Merlin gets Merlin gets uh, Merlin gets like tired of, like, young Kay's bullshit and basically tells him that, like, um, he's going to, like, bring himself to ruin with his own sharp tongue. And then the narrator says, like, Kay is somebody who is neither a... who's neither truly a leader nor truly a follower and will always... and it specifically says that, like, his heart will always be, like, straining against, like, the deficient body that it is in. um, And so that's really the depressing vibe i want for him of like somebody who is in a bad is in like a weird bad situation and always kind of wishes he could be in a better one um
2: yeah Mm. so it's cheery (laughs) it's really cheery i think that's i think that's a really strong like fate character note to start with yeah yeah that's that's real good and that explains your uh, noble phantasm yes I
1: I love how grumpy this team
3: is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) Like, just completely stressed uh, butch girl assassin and her six foot five grandpa. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, What about... uh, Yeah.
2: Oh, should I go with Amalia?
0: Yeah, I was just going to throw to you for Amalia and Ahab.
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, no, um... So Amalia, in appearance, Uh, she's got long auburn hair, kind of lanky, which is why that word was in my head. Uh, She's got some odd scars from her family magic and her family crest, since the way you get, like, family magic besides what you biologically inherit is they basically surgically implant more magical circuits into you from previous generations. She tends to kind of stoop, so she probably looks a bit shorter than she is, and she sort of curls into chairs or corners. Uh, usually wears a sweater coat over an older dress. Uh, she doesn't really dress up for killing, she just more or less dresses the same way at all times. And, uh, when she's using magic, her eyes, the tips of her hair, her, like, fingertips, probably her feet, I guess, uh, like, glow with a bit of heat and magic circuits, because they burn a little bit too bright, because her mage- family magecraft is vicious, if effective. Uh, so she's not, she doesn't stand out a lot and tends to sort of hide in corners most of the time, but, you know, when she's (laughs) out in crevices doing magic, yeah, yeah, she's, she's got a certain spidery way to her, I think, uh, like, you know, like curling up in the corner, possibly with a book, I, you know, um, we'll, we'll get to her, her potential hobbies, but, uh. She's, uh, in terms of her background and, like, personality, she's the sixth generation heir of the line Fedrush, which was an offshoot that got founded after some kind of terrible misfortune befell them. I'm I'm sure she's been told all her life that they were betrayed, they were treated awfully, it's someone else's fault, definitely, because that's kind of the fedrush family vibe they've become more or less like a mafia family as a mage clan much more openly criminal much more openly willing to just do things mercenarily than the kind of aristocracy that is a usual mage family um and they are always doing it in the pursuit of their vendetta which is why they're in the grail war so the mages association which is like the the intercontinental it's not really a governing body it's more of like a my brain just spat out homeowners association for wizards, but that's not really accurate. <laughs> um, but they're, they're the meddling busybodies based in London, but who mostly don't have like. ...power projection, so they just let local powerful families run things and say they're associated with the Mages' Association. The Rush are on the outs with them because they keep trying to murder an imported family or an important association, like, group of some kind. Uh, so they're kind of fugitive. She's, she uh, was raised partially in hiding, you know, going to normal school... ...but always returning home to a family of cold pressures and a sort of bloody intensity of direction... Uh, ...because she's seen kind of as a foot soldier for this vendetta. Um, She's pretty capable. She's more magically powerful than uh, like her cousins or whatever, and so was chosen to take part in this role um, and, you know, taught to kill. And kind of the defining element of her personality is that she really doesn't want people to judge her. Amalia is kind of soft-spoken. She curls up in corners. She's somewhat retiring uh, in part because she was taught to hide, you know, who her family was in case someone had any idea what that all was about. But also because she just doesn't want people to be mad at her, to see her as weird or bad, uh, including her family. Um, She really wants to please them, uh, but she, you know, mostly just gets uh, marching orders and a strong sense of obligation. um, Which means that she thinks of mundane life and, like, the normal parts of her life, both family-wise and school, very fondly. Um, So yeah, she's, she's very... Uh, she's mo- going to be more upset if someone thinks she's creepy and horrible because they saw her murdering someone than about the whole murdering thing because she's very much <laughs> internalized her family's idea that, uh, okay, yeah, we do horrible things. We you know we basically use sacrificial fire magic to suck the life out of people as we kill them, which feels great, don't get me wrong. Uh, but we do all this because we should be an important, powerful, and prestigious mage family that doesn't have to do any of this like scrabbling shit but it was taken away from us. It's all their fault, and if we can get our revenge, everything will be great." And to some extent, Amalia's sort of mindset about this, even though she's, you know, now a probably a young adult, she still has this kind of somewhat childish mindset of, okay, yeah, if my family actually got what they want, they would be less terrible people, and things would be nice, and, like, I wouldn't have to worry about people judging me. If I make things work out, my family will definitely love me in a less, like, obnoxious and awful way. It's, you know, it's, it's intentionally kind of sad. Um, so she's... The way I put it in the character sheet is that she's driven by her family's vendetta, but not really animated by it. It doesn't have a ton of emotional meaning to her, except as the obstacle that keeps her family from being better than they are.
0: Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, no, In a I... way, that's even sadder.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Uh, that That was part of the goal uh, especially because um should i just uh, roll into avenger
0: yeah just roll roll on into ahab let's do it
2: yeah old thunder because uh, he's definitely not going to be good for her at all like this is this is really a worst case scenario because the thing that sort of they have in common is vengeance because uh you know ahab is captain ahab from the book moby dick Um, in appearance, he's a tall man with gray hair, uh, high brown, a straight white scar from his crown to his foot, which crosses one of his eyes. Um, the book does not say which side that scar is on, as far as I can tell, and I looked. Um, (laughs) there's actually, I'm going to copy and paste a piece of art, because in Fate Strange Fake, a cool, like, uh, offshoot... Of fate by the same uh like author as uh Bacchano and durarara um and so it has really strong like uh, durarara energy actually it's a very weird piece of like fate content um but sorry just successfully copying and pasting hopefully um the general i guess deal with uh fate ahab in this case is that yeah moby dick's godlike. It's, it is truly a cosmic level power. He had no chance of ever defeating uh, Moby Dick at all and he was kind of aware of that or at least aware of the sort of magical nature i'm you know he's in the book he's described as you know he's a sea captain who's been a harpooner since he was 18 he you know was an orphan he's very like aloof and apart from people he's brilliant but incredibly driven and uh he had like weird adventures the line line in the story is someone says that um you know, he wielded uh, the, um, I think it's the keenest lance in Nantucket, and he fixed it in stranger, mightier foes than whales uh, and been used <laughs> to deeper wonders than the waves. Uh, this guy has seen it all. He knows mages exist and doesn't care about them a ton. He's, you know, he's, he had a whole big fantasy adventure story and all of that, like in the book, doesn't matter, except that it's like explaining that he's a very cool guy with a bunch of backstory, none of which matters because the white whale took his leg and the wound has poisoned his mind, and his purpose now is just pure vengeance, and that's why his knee from, uh, you know, again, don't know which leg, uh, knee from the leg down is just uh, whalebone. It's a whalebone ivory peg. Uh,
0: can I just Sorry. say that the keenest lance in, uh, in Nantucket is just an amazing phrase i love oh yeah no
2: moby dick as a book is just full of fantastic phrases and uh moby dick as a fate entity probably shows up later in uh strange fake i i haven't been following strange fake close enough but ahab appears as like a weird ghost and there's a whole thing with a weird unusual class vessel it's cool i'm sure i just don't know enough about it to talk about it Mm -hmm. uh, beyond that uh, here, I think I finally managed to make this image happen. There we go. Fate we found, Ahab. saw
0: it on Google. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh. Okay. Cool. Cool. <laughs> this uh, is such I, a I vibe. love. Yeah. No. He's. <laughs> uh I, I love it. I love that he's just like casually kind of evil in this picture.
0: Mm-hmm. Just like uh... smoking a pipe. He's not even doing anything, but just like the vibe of him smoking this pipe and kind of like pointing at something is just so sinister. <laughs> yeah,
2: it rules. It absolutely Medicine. rules.
0: I'm so excited for yeah. this like powerful grandpa smackdown. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's oh, just yeah, going to be yeah. two
0: old men just going at it. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah. But uh, yeah, and his mm, and I should say that uh, a major thought for him is also that he's uh he's someone who can convince other people to uh fuck up alongside him like he's very good at getting other people to come with him on his extremely doomed purpose uh so he's really gonna be healthy for amalia i'm sure because uh he's gonna fill her with his madness maddened just like he is
0: yeah so great wonderful great <laughs> um hannah do you have any other backstory parts for remy um because i know the servants still have skills and noble phantasms um I do have uh like a capabilities
1: uh section. Right. So so that's my my last bit. As far as like other backstory stuff, I think that the only thing that like I I mench I fail to mention is that like she does genuinely like feel a, a big sense of obligation to her family and like I think a lot of why she's like lashing out at everything right now is cuz she feels like oh I was I was planning to be like a better daughter, a better sister, etc. like a little later on, like once I had gotten us financially comfortable enough, but that's probably mm. not going to happen at this point, and I feel really angry about it at everyone except for myself. <laughs>
3: mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, K's. Uh, he has parameters. Uh, servants have like a strength, endurance, agility, magic, luck, and noble phantasm stat you know um,
2: because this is a jrpg
0: yeah At, they don't, fate is a jrpg they don't really matter but i think it's worth uh noting that um k has kind of like average in everything except for his luck being d and his endurance being a this is basically <laughs> a, a theme a theme of this guy of k in the in the myth is that he is Not the world's best fighter, but God, he can fight for a really, really long time. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, Which is why his first skill is uh, Battle Continuation EX. Um, Nice. Which in Fate is just the ability to keep fighting for, like, way past when, like, any normal person or spirit would be incapacitated. Um, one great thing I found in the myth is that um, Kay was said to have been able to go nine days and nights without needing to sleep, eat, or breathe. Um, and we ha- and I also found a quote uh, supposedly linked to King Arthur which said that nobody but God could kill Kay. <laughs> so-
3: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wait,
0: wait, okay. The specific phrasing is that Kay's death is a feat that would be unattainable to anyone but God.
1: Incredible.
0: (laughs) So that seemed to me like an EX rank. Okay. Um, He also has a skill uh, which is called Flame. Um, So there is a prophecy. There are various, like, prophecies said to have been, like, uttered by people about Kay, about his heart um either that it would be cold as ice or constantly burning like fire and i went with the fire version um so yeah he is just kind of like has a sort of control over fire that comes out of his body he can breathe fire he can shoot it from his fingertips um he can like warm things he can like warm things up um you could cook an egg on him yeah um I wrote some truly fake bullshit about how this skill is not truly magecraft even though it is comparable to magecraft because it is, a, it is an inherent quality of his body that he controls and not a sort of a magic spell. Very cool. Um, he also has um, the skill independent action which allows him to like basically act against the orders of a master and without needing a master um, because he is neither he is neither a follower nor a leader that's Uh, right he he sometimes uh you know sometimes remy will have an idea about how they can do something and Kay will go that's dumb as shit i'm doing (laughs) this instead (laughs) and then he starts doing it uh Uh, but he's you know he's never disloyal his idea he always thinks he has a better idea that will allow them to accomplish their objective easier um and it's just that remy is like how old is remy um i imagine like uh like Late 20s, early 30s? It's just that he is three times Remy's age and he knows more about this shit than she does. There you go. Um, Kay also has Magic Resistance uh, B+, which is... um, which which is uh one of the like skills of the rider class um the the little the kind of legend thing uh that i picked out to kind of justify this is that k is once said to have fought a coven of nine witches at once and beaten them all (laughs) (laughs) oh
2: damn nice nine witches nine
0: witches. (laughs) Nine, Uh, witches he fought nine witches he fought nine he climbed a mountain and fought nine witches and then came back down and was like beat all the witches guys (laughs) <laughs> um so you gotta be you gotta be pretty good at magic to mess with k um i love that um both he and uh amalia was your mage's name ben yeah yeah i like that both he and amalia have a fire thing going on i think that's lovely um nice he also has the uh skill riding uh at an a rank In fate, riding is a weird skill because it is just like your ability to not only ride horses but also to ride like bikes, motorcycles, uh, any vehicle, spaceships. That's right. Um, Yeah,
2: which is funny because they also have a specific sailing a boat skill now (laughs) in Grand Order. So there's a riding for everything but boats, and then there's boats.
0: Yeah, just like just like getting your license, basically (laughs) absurd. uh but yes k has a has a riding skill of a which means he can basically you know ride any animal except for a dragon and operate any man-made vehicle and do it like expertly um because he is you know he's the son of a noble he got a first-rate education including that's right. horsemanship <laughs> that's right um and then and he's rider class and he's rider class which is kind of like what they do um, he also has a final skill, uh, which I made up, called uh, Sharp-Tongued Abjurations, which <laughs> allows him to give—once he, like, once he has a existing relationship with someone and he has some, like, knowledge of their personality and habits and, like, goals, he can give them advice, and it's, like, really insightful, really good advice, but it's always going to be, like, offensive to them, you know? like he his his function in king arthur's court is that like he was the one who knew arthur when she was a child you know and thus he is Mm -hmm. the one who can tell who can tell her like no you're being fucking stupid like this (laughs) is a bad idea um and like get you to listen in that way and so that is also the way that he gives advice is to like Mm -hmm. you know berate you about your worst impulses but he's not wrong when he does that (laughs)
2: This uh, this reminds me of a, a favorite servant, uh, which is Hans Christian Andersen, who appears as a small child who's just really mean to everyone <laughs> in Fate CCC. Which is like, Fate CCC is really good. Um, I, I just have to say that it's wild, it's weird, it's like terrifyingly psychosexual at times, but it's just really good. Mm, yeah. um, and Anderson's a fun character from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So.
1: Um. Can yes. I can I do uh? Remy's Oh sorry, you still have your Noble Phantasm, right? Yeah,
0: Noble Phantasm. Alright. Um his Noble Phantasm is called what I call it? I called it um something I oh I wasn't proud of his name, but I called it the aspiring burning heart. Okay. Um, which is basically kind of as I said, it is you know, his heart is literally on fire. Um and he can kind of like stoke that flame basically to increase his like physical capacities to like a extreme level um the idea is it like kind of like restores him to his former you know his former glory um but you know it has a toll each time and i think the idea you know it's sort of it's almost like a curse in that every time he uses it it's going to like have a have a worse backlash to him but and yeah. to Remy, and to Remy also, because they're magically linked. <laughs>
2: uh. um, hey, it should be—it should be fine. Mages are supposed to act as the magic reservoir for the summoned servants, so surely Remy's been prepared for this. Yeah.
0: Mm, uh, mm, oof. <laughs> oof. <laughs> oof. Yeah, but the idea is that, like, when the chips are down, you know, K is a dependable guy, and you—you know—it takes a lot to take him down. So especially when he has this like noble phantasm, um, which basically causes him to kind of you you know darks has anyone played Dark Souls three the kind of like ember effects that characters have in that mm. game that mm. is nice, the nice. that is the vibe that I'm thinking except more less ember and more like on fire <laughs> <laughs> sick yeah so that's K
3: hell yeah
1: um yes. could I like lay out Remy's capabilities before we uh, move on to Ben stuff. Yeah, sure. Sure. All right. So, um, as far as like you know, mundane capabilities, she's like an expert hit woman by like you know non mage standards. Um, she has like military training and has spent like a couple years just assassinating people for various like elite clandestine criminal organizations. Um, and she also has like caches of supplies that she has access to around the city because you know they're like dead drops that the organizations that she works for will maintain um so if she manages to to make it to those points without uh getting spotted and blown up then she'll be able to like get some some more like mundane resources um as far as magical resources she pretty much just has what she took off of the the target that she assassinated that got her caught up in this whole mess in the first place, um, and she has no idea really what any of them are, and I've intentionally, like, left them blank. That feels like a good, you know, plot token question to sort of reveal that, like, oh, well, she's had this thing this whole time, and it's useful in this way. Um, And then her magic. Uh, Her magic, you say? I thought she was not a mage and not from the mage world. Well, it's a classic fate tradition to have, like, characters that don't really know that they're magic um, or have like, you know, weak magic circuits in a sense until, you know, a grail war kind of gives them opportunities to be used in some way. Um, So what she has, and again, I've been like uh, vague on the specific mechanism of this um, because it feels like another good thing to fill in with plot tokens. Um, But she does have the ability to slip away from danger at the last second to continuously revise her status from, like, fatally defeated to brutally and humiliatingly defeated. (laughs) It doesn't actually, like, let her, like, you know, perfect dodge all attacks and, like, you know, win an encounter that she otherwise would have lost. But it does, like, you know, I imagine that within, like, the... Even before um, her entering the Grail War, just, like, you know, after she assassinated this mage that was supposed to take part in it, Um, But before it officially begins, she's already, like, survived, like, one or two assassination attempts um, in ways that don't really make a whole lot of, like, rational sense. Um, And that's something that, like, you know, as an ability, it probably has extreme potential if she was able to, like, fully harness it, but... I don't think she's going to be fully harnessing it in the context of this grail war. Um, because, you know, I can't imagine that someone's going to like take a whole lot of time to tutor her in the application of this. So what it does just fundamentally allow for is for her to have a lot of these like narrow exits um, that, you know, still leave her alive and kicking, which I think is a great, like, you know, uh point of synergy with your like, endurance a and battle continuation ex yeah that like both of these guys like you could probably beat them in a fight but for some reason they're still alive and they're still an annoying problem
0: yeah i like how i like how both remy and k are really hard to kill k because he is like kind of like supernaturally um enduring and remy just because she always finds a way to like prat fall out of the way yeah <laughs> Yeah,
1: um, <sighs> I, I want to be clear that uh, one of the like the chief inspirations for this character uh, is the character of Holly Wilson in on Rock, uh, which is a actual play podcast that former guest uh, Molly is in. So check that out if you haven't already, um, who is described like every time she shows up as like the coolest, most badass, like, you know, uh just taciturn, laconic assassin. But literally every time she shows up, she gets brutally and humiliatingly owned. <laughs> um, and I, I love her with all my heart. And I kind of wanted to like take off of that energy a little bit and combine it with some other influences. But yeah, other than that, nice. she has no other real magic. Um, she's just someone who's like very good with guns, very good with, uh, you know, mundane combat. And who you're not going to defeat unless you're like you're not going to like permanently defeat unless you're really really thorough. You can temporarily defeat her with mild effort.
2: <laughs> I want to suggest something actually. Uh, yeah, go for it. Regarding regarding her magic, which is first of all, it's uh, it's a it's a fate tradition for people to in a Grail War to inexplicably just get better at magic real fast because of various plot things, you know, falling precisely aligned in such a way. Shiro Emiya, worst mage in uh, Fuyuki, is a great example of this. um, As he gets to be like superhero level magic by the end of some of the routes. But another thing would be that you actually do have someone who's going to give her a lot of advice in the immediate future. And Mm. who has been around since like magic times. Yeah. So hypothetically um, he could give her advice that could help her, you know, learn how to harness or use these uh, capabilities. Just a, a place, plot tokens could get spent for not just backstory stuff, but like ongoing development of yeah. his character and skill.
0: A man who may have been known as one of the Enchanter Knights of Britain. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah. So, so I, I, think that that would like
1: be really cool. Um, and and offer a lot of interesting possibilities for like her arc and her relationship with, um, Kay. But, um, cause I think that, like, something that I had imagined her trying to do, um, and this might be with, uh, Amalia, in fact, is to just be like, okay, well, what, now that I realize that I'm in this, like, death tournament, I'm probably not gonna win it, but I bet I could, like, kill one of these guys. So maybe I just <laughs> need to, like, offer my services as, a, like, you know, a, a, a hit woman. It's what I know that, like, I, approach some team and say like hey if you can guarantee me like safe passage out of this city and you know uh, that I won't just be like blown up by a mage the moment my plane lands then I could take out another uh team for you I could you know then hand you over my servant and just like bolt um and I think that like that's the way that she approaches this initially because she's like I I don't want Mm -hmm. to be involved in this world of mages whatsoever. But I think that, like, being told that, like, actually you have, like, immense magical potential that you should just really learn to harness, and if you don't, you're an idiot. Um, will definitely make her, like, groan. (laughs) Because it's just like, oh no. Either I'm gonna die, or, like, I'm gonna be the mage assassin for the rest of my life. And I hate both of those possibilities so
2: much. (laughs) Nice. Nice. (sighs) Mm. So, should I go ahead with Team Avenger? Yeah. Please. Yeah, so I want to sort of get through Amalia, because Amalia doesn't have a ton of, like, capabilities or uh, elements that haven't already been discussed in terms of her powers. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about, like, what I think is a very good plot token hole in her backstory, which is... uh, Who in the cast did she meet in school or in mundane life, and what did they do that will arrest her hand when she tries to kill them? Because I think it would make sense for Amalia to be pursuing uh, Remy at the start of the story, like that she's aware of Remy and uh, knows that, you know, this is someone that she's supposed to kill. And I think maybe rather than meet in school or mundane life, because you don't have to fill in these plot things, it might make more sense if Remy, uh, you know, just has been her target for maybe a little while, has slipped out a few times. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she possibly uh, has basically only known Remy in the figure of she is a mage trying to murder you. And uh, that would be a really interesting place for her to start off sort of wrong-footed because she really again doesn't like people knowing about that side of herself but she's not gonna like try and murder someone to cover up that she murders she'll just <laughs> treat it like a really really embarrassing secret of hers that's been discovered yeah and um,
1: I, I, I mean like
2: you know i i think that from reby's perspective is just
1: like oh um uh, I didn't see anything out of the ordinary about this. Like my impression is that you all murder, because literally every one of you I've encountered so far <laughs> is tried to murder me specifically.
2: And you have joined a murder tournament, so That's right. Yeah. It's it seems like your guys' um, deal. I don't know why that would be embarrassing for you. <laughs> also,
0: also I think if Also, I think if Remy were to ask Kay, I think Kay would be like, well, only time I've ever talked to a wizard is when he was trying to kill me, except for Merlin, but I don't like Merlin.
2: (laughs) I don't know if anyone Fate likes Fate Merlin, except all the fans. (laughs) Uh, Just huge troll. Oh, God, yes, he (sighs) would
0: have been talking to Fate Merlin this whole time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, that, that guy uh but yeah and so amalia's magic is pretty straightforward like mage magic in this setting she can throw around curses make you know wards and tripwire kind of things uh but yeah has a certain unpleasant or like unpleasantly direct and violent mode even for uh fate magic you know just sticking her fingers in someone and sucking the life out of them with a spell kind of things uh again she gets like kind of she gets a little high on it. She gets a little, like, energized and a little loopy from draining energy out of people uh, when she's doing that sort of thing, which, again, she just thinks is the most embarrassing thing ever. It's, you know, she's, you know, it's a lack, lack of control. It's, it's murdering people, which is a messy and gross business. It's, you know, again, not so much a moral issue with it and just more of a, oh, I can't believe you saw me like this. Let me go clean up. Um Yeah. And possibly this can turn into a moral thing, but it doesn't sound like Remy's going to be that that type of uh, person, mm-hmm. given Remy. Like what kind of person? Uh, Sorry? Uh, the kind of person who would be like, maybe murdering people is wrong. Maybe you should stop doing that. Because, you know, Remy also murders.
1: Yeah, like I, I, th- I think that like um, her perspective, like if they do have a heart-to-heart on this, is more just like, look... Like, I also murder for my family in some vague way. That's probably, like, an actual bad idea for me. But just, like, if you're doing this, then you've got to let it be, like, you know, uh, a job and a, uh, like, a thing that you do rather than, like, a pathology. Like, you can't get too, like, wrapped up in it. You can't get too, like scared about like how people see it or whatnot you know if if someone finds out then yeah you would eliminate them if they're a threat but i think that it's it's more of like an advice of like have confidence in yourself
2: it's okay (laughs) to murder you don't need to be weird about it (laughs) be a professional and then you know this whole uh,
0: cast is uh this whole cast is that um that one meme with the like um reach out if you need help uh or what is it um, it's like reach out if you need help, and then like Ahab, murder is okay. Remy, murder is okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, murder's okay. Remember to drink water.
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, a- Ahab does not remember to drink water. Uh, Ahab is definitely represented here—the very unhealthy relationship to your job as a murderer. Yeah, because <laughs> for him it's more of a, a hobby or a—it's—it's it's really a sideline in his whole. Uh Kill Moby Dick thing. Uh, but yeah, Amalia's magic is pretty straightforward There's some open questions of like what other side effects or methods does the Fedrus family crest do? Is there something weird about it because it's this sort of reconstructed thing over the last six generations or you know th- Those aren't necessarily worth a plot token when you make the character There's like places you could go with this not things you need to know to make the character make sense and therefore need to be filled in um but yeah, so that's Amalia. I think that covers her sort of magic stuff. And then Ahab has stats! Yay, parameters! I love them. do it. Uh, yeah, his, his parameters are actually surprisingly similar to uh, K. Um, I think he has probably a weaker strength than K, but he's got a, you know... I, I've used, like, the minus and plus a few times to show, like, oh, in some situations, this is better than its normal stat, which is a real—it's a way of uh, wimping out of actually just assigning a stat and staying with it, uh, but it's also a way of making fun uh, noodly bits. Obviously, he has luck D-minus. Um, not a lucky man, Ahab. Yeah. Uh, he lost a leg. Uh, you know, magic D, he doesn't, like, personally do magic. Uh, agility, like, B-minus, because, again, missing a leg. Um but he does have endurance B++ because he's coming out in sort of the same direction as K, is He's a very enduring servant, but doesn't have a ton of personal, like, offensive capability before you get into, like, the weird shit Ahab gets up to. Because uh, he has a skill which is madness maddened, which is taken f- directly from the uh, text of the book. So I was like, oh, that's a term that sounds sort of like a fate skill. Um, <laughs> and he has that at EX because... Uh, his, um, he's just never going to do anything but pursue his, uh, monomaniacal intention. He's utterly dedicated to it, and not only that, but he can, um, sort of spread it to other people. Uh, his fire, his match lights their fire, is the metaphor in the book. And so this is sort of like, his vengeance has a magical and contagious quality to it as a heroic spirit, which is why he's Avenger class, um. Which is, again, like, it's not a good class to have. The original Avenger is, like, basically, if we filled a human-shaped blob with corrosive nothing and hate, and then he became a very good boy. Um, So, yeah, Ahab's sort of, I guess, game plan as a servant is that he'll survive long enough to talk some people onto his side, to make his plans, to sort of spread this... Uh, desperate vendetta and potentially um, sort of throw things into that uh, that angle and honestly on some level it's possible he and Amalia don't make much headway there and it's mostly a story of him dragging her down into an unwinnable fight Um, but he's never going to turn back from that or make a decision that isn't fundamentally driven by his absolute desire for the grail so that he can kill Moby Dick um he's also got charisma a because in fate the charisma skill is like about leading people um so you know people will follow him and he can you know lead them well i think technically speaking the charisma skill is supposed to make people more effective when they follow your like instructions it's like a leadership skill um but it's called charisma Mm -hmm. uh he's also got something that i discovered from reading the like uh like, power sheets for the Avenger class vessel concept, which is accumulator that he just, like, attracts. His, his hate is so uh, powerful and directed that it generates magical energy. So he can sort of power himself a little bit, uh, get more powerful over time, which very much fits the, the imagery in the book. So I just thought that was cool. I don't really have a, a game plan for that. Uh, obviously he's got rider on the storm, the, the sailing thing, because he doesn't have rider, because he's not a rider, but he does have the <laughs> storm rider, which lets him do boats and only boats. Um,
3: that very and silly. battle
2: continuation C+, because, uh, um, he's certainly not at K's level of endurance, but he is, uh, distraught, he is, you know, constantly going further than his body will actually handle. It's, it's a major theme with him in the book, is that he, um, his mind will never retreat His soul and his body will both sometimes freak out and fail him or just not be able to do what his mind intends, even though his mind is so absolutely unwilling to stop. Uh, So he doesn't have as strong battle continuation as uh, K by any means, but he has a little. Uh, And then he has a skill that is just a problem for him. Oh no. Nemesis. EX. Uh, It's not EX because it's the largest, it's just it can't be measured. This is not something that has like a, a scale. It's just that he is the enemy of Moby Dick, a phantasmal beast, and I've sort of brought in the idea, I think Strange Fake suggested this, that like, Moby Dick is like an incarnation of Nemesis, of like, the enemy, the the thing that punishes hubris and sets the limit of the world for humans and the law. And so, it's possible that if Moby Dick is not just a super powerful white whale, but something else, that sort of energy or entity or involvement might start getting involved empowering ahab's enemies or ensuring he has this like grand final confrontation that is supposed to end with his death (laughs) um this is also why throughout his character sheet uh there are bolded sentences saying things like he is doomed to failure it will not work and he will not attain his vengeance he will drag his master down with him uh which are all sort of the insertions of the nemesis skill into his like spiritual framework because i love screwing around with fake pa- like character sheets and faked stats it's just it's so much fun
0: mm-hmm. it's sick
2: yeah yeah i'm i'm very i'm I, i'm very pleased with myself i would say smug about it um <laughs> I love, and then I love yeah this idea his... of moby
0: dick is like kind of <laughs> moby dick is like a Phantasmal force that just tries to like Moby Dick is like literally Moby Dick and fate is like literally the thing that Ahab from Moby Dick believes Moby Dick to be. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Like that's that's the thing. I mean, maybe it's a li- maybe it's different or not quite what he thinks it is because he just thinks it's evil and must die. Like Moby Dick is the thing in the world that makes it bad it is yeah. the i think the phrase in the book is the subtle demonism that cracks the lees and <laughs> you know cracks the muscles and is the evil in the lees of all things But you're uh, speaking s- of a whale <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and you know in this case it's a god whale but it might not actually be the enemy of all humanity that he believes it to be who knows that's a place yeah. for plot tokens mm-hmm. um and his noble phantasm is obviously a harpoon. Uh, its it's, um, it's incantation is from hell's heart, though he actually has a cool little Latin incantation that I am not going to pronounce correctly where he basically says, I baptize you in, not in the name of God, but in the name of the devil, yeah. while uh, pouring blood onto the uh, cooling harpoon that he has made later in the book. It's, it's super cool. Um, so he has his special harpoon called from hell's heart, parentheses, fiery darts quenched in blood. Uh, because I just used a bunch of little descriptive bits from the book uh, for that. And the idea is that it's not that great of a spear. Like, it's a harpoon. It's a throwing weapon for stabbing a really large target precisely. Um, And he's not super strong as a combatant he's not a knight he's a you know he's a captain and a harpooner so he's mostly sort of fit for harrying from a distance he because the actual noble phantasm is his hatred he can make more of the harpoon itself the physical vessel for it and my thought is that you know if you parry it if you touch it at all it hurts because it's you know it's just burning with his you know avenger-ness And if he manages to actually get a clean hit on you where the barb goes in, he can drag you down into a a bounded field, like, you know, in the style of a reality marble, full of, uh, like, rushing, surging blood-tinged darkness and heat, a boiling sea of his hatred. Um, Because I really liked the imagery of someone getting injured and then, like, the ground starts to, like, turn into this, like, red surf and they're starting, like, sinking to the knees. And it's just, uh, it's his externalized hatred pulling things into a universe driven by it until you can remove the harpoon or drive him off um so yeah he's got sort of a harassing harrying from a distance horrible curse style rather than you know k's very stand-up take it uh i think i think frankly heroic style of fighting as a, as a knight
0: mm-hmm. yeah but it will yeah. be the grandpa smackdown <laughs> yeah
2: (laughs) yes there will absolutely be a grandpa's back down uh even if he manages to drag and i think there's a really cool interaction there where if he manages to drag k into his uh into his reality marble of from hell's heart you know drag him into hell's heart um k is very well prepared to just tank it right (laughs) like just battle continuation ex endurance a just like floating in this darkness with a sword trying to move towards the light until eventually ahab runs out of uh magical power amalia runs out of magical power to maintain this noble phantasm for so long and you know i'm assuming Kay wouldn't be doing great after that but he still gets spit out of hell Mm -hmm. uh which i imagine would really annoy ahab
0: Mm -hmm. he gets spit out of hell and he can breathe fire i want to stress this he can breathe fire (laughs) God,
2: these characters
1: uh, are sick. <laughs> Again, what I, if the what if the great uh recurring themes of this podcast is that like we promised we didn't coordinate these characters? <laughs> we just
0: we just made two oh. two we just made we just ended up with two assassin girls and two yeah. old men with fire powers who are mad as shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, the grumpiest rules. possible grill. War. Uh do we want to do some character questions then?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I think we've established like you know everything that we need to about the characters, including like their dynamic and relationship. I think that like one yeah. potential way for this to, to like, evolve is um, Remy either like developing like a genuine affection for Kay or a genuine affection for Amalia or maybe both to be like ugh this fucking sucks that i want to do stuff that's not just get out of here as soon as possible <laughs> but like you know she will be she will drag herself kicking and screaming into anything like remotely decent that she does during this Grail War <laughs> but i do think that there is like a lot of potential for her to just like get some kind of attachment to either like you know be the uh, a big sister figure to amalia and say like you know hey you can you can have a healthier relationship with your murder. It's fine. Or to look at, you know, Kay and be like, okay, well, you know, you're like a a father figure slash drill sergeant figure that, like, I can actually, like, develop a real connection with and take your lessons in stride.
0: So what you're saying is there's good in her.
1: (laughs) Your words, not mine. I would never say that about a character.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, no, I... I really like how this is developing for like a bouncing off Remy and uh yeah I did want to mention I've got like a few ideas for directions to go with plot tokens that like branch in different ways on the character sheets I don't know if that's uh worth bringing up or if it'll just roll into the the questions but like yeah.
0: I I hate I hate to cut it off but we are at two two hours ooh, ten minutes ooh. for sure <laughs> And yeah, we, yeah. we got six questions to get through. Yeah. Um, so Very fair. we Very should fair. just go to questions. Let's just wrap mm-hmm. those up, yeah. Um, do, you, do we want to just do them in the order we posted them in chat, which would yeah. be Ben, Hannah, me? Yeah, yeah. Sure. That's it. Ben, give us your serious question.
2: Okay, the serious question is, what does Amalia find likable or relatable about her opponent, in this case, Remy, uh, because, you know, we're just thinking about these two, uh, that makes her reconsider her family's mission of bloody vengeance, and is it enough to make her pull away from Avengers' death spiral? Um, I think that it, it seems pretty straightforward,
1: like, what she likes is that this is someone who has a very kind of, like, proud relationship and, like, comfortable relationship with her killing. That Mm -hmm. Someone who, like, understands it as, like, you know, this is a a thing that I'm very good at, and a thing that, like, does me well, um, and that I don't need to, like, feel ashamed of it, and you shouldn't either. So, I think that when I said that, you know, Remy is, like, kind of desperate for moments that let her feel like she's in control again, Amalia is just, like, a button that she can press for those (laughs) at any time. Um, And so, I, I, I think that like, she can slip back into that persona very easily when Amalia is there and then go right back into being, like, you know, harried and put upon by everything when it's just her and Kay again. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think that Amalia could, like, see that as something, like, admirable, to be like, well, you know, it, it feels good and I, I know that I should be doing it, but, you know, I also have this really complicated relationship where I don't necessarily agree with, like, why I'm doing it, and you know, I, I think that having a, a relationship that, again, murder is not healthy, just a big, disclaimer part of this, but to, to have a more emotionally healthy response to it where she's not like constantly fretting about, you know, what it looks like and, and what it makes her. Listen, we are playing mm-hmm. with the fiction.
0: Fate is a franchise in which the phrase emotionally healthy relationship to her killing is like a valid yeah, and, not insane, sure. and not insane yeah. thing to say.
1: Uh. Um, and then, as far as is it enough to pull her away from Avengers' death spiral? I would actually give this over to you. Uh, for, Olivia's shaking her
0: head repeatedly. Yeah, I'm, I'm shaking my head and <laughs> grimacing. I, I, it's it. That skill is ex. Oh you yeah. Know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do think that there
1: is eventually like probably going to be some breakdown with like this kind of you know, uh, uh half alliance that's going on here.
0: I feel like. I feel like we could do this in the worst way, which is, like, it is Remy's influence that, like, kind of hardens Amalia's resolve into being like, yeah, I guess I do just have to kill everyone that gets in my way until I get what I want. <laughs> and it's like, uh-oh, hold on. That's not <laughs> what I was trying to... That's not what I was trying to impart to you at all. Oh, God. I,
1: I love that, like, <sighs> we... Again, we've mentioned before that one of the core archetypes of this podcast is the big sister, but... Someone who's this catastrophically bad at being a big sister that she just inspires the most terrifying murderer is, it's such a fun concept.
2: Yeah, I I definitely like that. Like the idea that this is likable and relatable, that is emotional connection, and what it's doing is making her be like, yeah, I can be wholeheartedly for bloody vengeance upon the world. I don't have to be ashamed of my family's just... Absolutely awful ideas, and presumably Remy seeing that and going, No,
0: (sighs) Uh, wait, hold on, I didn't want this, (laughs) yeah,
2: (laughs) exactly. And and you know, obviously, Ahab is just like, Yes, good, let me explain to you why this is the best thing in a really intense way. My eyebrows will make you do killing. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Let me explain to you why specifically you want to kill a giant whale. You want to yes. kill a giant whale so badly.
2: <laughs> this whale represents everything about your life you don't like, and if you just kill these people and help me kill the whale, that will help, and it, we can kill those other guys you want to kill as well. They're they're basically also an aspect they're of the probably whale. Working or... with the whale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just they look. The whale exists, and as a result, people like them exist. Don't ask about the middle part; it doesn't matter. The connection doesn't matter. It just happens.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that Remy's perspective on Moby Dick is that, like, she, she's like, wait, I, I, I like had to read this for class once upon a time. I thought he was just a whale. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Guys, are you sure he's not just a whale? I know that there's magic shit I don't understand, but I feel like this one is probably
0: a whale. <laughs> I think Tay oh. would hear the story and be like, that sounds like a magic whale. <laughs>
2: yeah i i also really like the idea of the magic whale showing up like the nemesis stuff showing up and just not being at all the kind of like demonic hell thing that ahab considers it to be but is something a lot more mm, amoral or complicated or even just like even in some way positive like yeah i you know there exist limits to the world and humans constantly break them because this is the fate franchise uh but you don't break them by slamming yourself into them at like max speed with a spike of iron screaming, die, whale, die. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alright. You got a silly question for us? Oh, yeah. Uh, what mundane hobby has Amalia gotten heavily invested in that has nothing to do with her family or her goals, and she keeps it hidden because it would make her seem like a dork? I think she reads terrible light novels. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think there's, like, one specific light novel series that you just can't get enough of
2: that rules yes good yeah
0: um my idea
1: and but i do really really like olivia's but my idea was uh that she's really into gacha games because those are something that you can do in the corner retiringly um they are uh very unhealthy in a sense that they have predatory monetization uh, but they give you a constant little endorphin
2: rush and those all seem like things that match with her vibe Oh, yeah. And there's even a whale metaphor there. The, the, oh, it's, God. <laughs> it's great. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. You uh, can choose one or both of those. Um, I mean, you know. She could potentially be have a gotcha game that's connected to a light novel series or perhaps a, a series of a visual novels, a anime, a multimedia franchise that she's uh, a big fan of. <laughs> there are none of those in the fate setting. Next question. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh,
2: All right. I believe next question is yours.
1: That's right. Um, Okay, so my silly question is, what is the most cheeky, over-the-top, convoluted, hitman-ass way that Remy has ever taken out a target?
2: Ooh. Ooh. Um, I definitely feel like something where she had to, like, uh, impersonate, like, I'm thinking, like, medieval times and (laughs) impersonating, like, someone, not necessarily literally medieval times, like, it's some big, real ceremony where she had to get up in, like genuinely like cool uh old school out uh, uh like uniform in some way and was holding like a halberd and so she has in fact killed someone with a medieval implement. That <laughs>
1: rules <laughs> uh yeah like, like, she's, I like she's
2: I don't know assassinated the Pope in the met in the like persona of a of the Swiss guard or a cardinal or something. They use they have halberds. I don't know if they use them, but they have halberds. Yeah. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. I think they could use them. Swap that the
2: ceremonial them. prop halberd for a real halberd. <laughs> uh, that's not even getting into the fact that, like, fate Catholicism has, like, magic assassins of their own.
0: <laughs> that's true, they do.
1: Um. Alright, and my serious question is what is the bleakest, darkest, most craven deal that she would accept if it meant getting out of this alive?
0: I think it is, like... You described that, like, what if she got her wish, and then, like, the fact that she was safe from, from retribution by mages made her, like, the ultimate mage assassin. Um, I feel like she would honestly just, like, become a mage family's assassin. Like, yeah, I think if it really meant, like, you know, that she would have, like, you know, if she makes a decision of, like, okay, I can't get out of this world, but, like, I can have a powerful enough ally that, like... I stand more of a chance. I think she would take it.
2: Oh, I wonder if there's a really shitty mage family that uh, (laughs) likes assassinating people, does a bunch of (laughs) vengeance and basically is not making good decisions ever that would absolutely hire someone like that.
0: Hmm. God,
2: I,
1: I love the idea that like, you know, at the start of the grail war, like uh, Amalia sees her as like very, you know, cool and someone to look up to, but by the, the third year of her, like, perpetual service as, like, you know, the dog of the, the Thedrush family is just like, oh, her eyes are, like, completely dead <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Not because oh, no. of the killing. she's She doesn't mind that. But because she has to be around mages constantly. <laughs> that's that's just very quickly. This is something that I, I really wanted to center with this character. Because... Um, I think that there's an instinct with a lot of like people making fake characters to to have someone who has like a principled antagonism towards mage society um, because like mage society is fucking evil, right? It's it's really exploitative. It is you know double imperialism and and double aristocracy
2: in so many ways. Um, it's an engine run by f- family trauma and surgically inserting super weapons into your children. Exactly.
1: Um, And, like, you know, uh, Remy fucking hates mages, but not for any kind of principled reason at all. (laughs) Just because, like, they are personally unpleasant to her and keep almost killing her.
2: There also seems like there's a certain energy, because you mentioned that thing about, like, uh, she was, like, a cool person in a, you know, hidden secret world of assassins, and then... Turned out there's an even hidden or secret or world of wizards. And there's a certain degree of like, no, things used to make sense, things functioned, and now it turns out magic is real and I hate it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Olivia, do you got questions? I do have questions. I want to ask my serious question first. Let's Uh, do mm -hmm. it. Since I'm the last person, I want to ask what is the meanest thing that uh Ryder k ever says to remy i think Ooh. i i've been
1: thinking about this and i think i have an answer okay um which is i think that stuff that like m- like knocks down her capabilities or even like her her critical thinking ability um is doesn't really phase her and so i think that he can like you know Just ruthlessly, you know, criticize her gun handling technique or her strategic planning, and she'll like take it in stride. Um, but I think that the thing that like would really hit her is if, um, he like criticized her in a way that suggested that she is like not self aware. Um, because I think that she kind of draws a distinction between herself and like previous generations of the Adair family that like. Oh, they're all the guys who, like, you know, got killed in, you know, Vietnam or Desert Storm or whatever. Because, like, they were, you know, some of the the few, like, people who were stupid enough to believe in their own family myth. Instead of just, like, making millions of dollars off of it and, like, opening cowboy-themed restaurants or something like that. <laughs> um, but, like, she's seen herself as the opposite of that. As someone who, like, took this military training that was, like, you know kind of the the family obligation and turned it into a vehicle to, like, gain profit and turn the, like, you know, cowboy gunslinger aesthetic into a way to gain, like, a reputation and a mystique in that world. And for her to, like, be hit with that idea that, like, no, you are just as much of, like, somebody who is being ground through this mill as, like, your older brothers, your cousins, your uncles, your grandpa. Um, I think that that would really, like, hit her hard and be, like, cutting in a way that telling her that she's not shooting guns right never would be
0: mm.
3: mm-hmm.
0: which I think is like which I think is interesting because that is kind of like that's also kind of what Kay is right as yeah. like mm-hmm. somebody who was sort of like you know he wasn't just like a subject of Artorias, but he did get like you know ground up by Camelot and its fall all the same um so yeah, I could definitely see him saying something like that, really talking about himself, but yeah. also just really like <laughs> fucking up his relationship with Remy for like yeah. a day or two. Uh, Absolutely. I love fate. <laughs> and then my, my silly question, kind of kind of similar to one uh, to Ben's silly question, but like what aspect of the modern world interests Kay the most, uh, despite his attempts to hide his interest?
2: <laughs> Ooh, hmm. I have a very a very goofy one, uh, right. which is like race cars and like like motorcycles and you know things that go fast and like you know he's, a, he's an that. aristocrat, he's a knight. He, he wanted you know he had a cool horse and now he's just like, wait, we made metal horses that you can just like gun down the highway. Like he's <laughs> got a certain degree of like dad reading car magazines vibe about this.
0: I like that. I like the idea that like they get an opportunity to like get a cool car and then like at some point it becomes clear that like he's really invested in this cool car and like knows things about it that are not just like because in Fate there's like a degree to which magically like servants learn what they need to about the world you know yeah. uh but there's yeah. a degree to which like hold on you did not get like magical knowledge of like my mustangs like really specific engine configuration yeah you, you pop <laughs> that trunk and started looking at things so so
1: i have a question then. does that mean that like he sees as as one of the few surviving examples of like living a proper noble life um as like people who are like Oh yeah, I'm like 18th in line for the throne of Monaco, but mainly what I do is like you know race Formula One cars and like have a bunch of parties with my Eurotrash friends.
0: <laughs> I I think I think he would be disdainful of that, but I think if they ever went to like a like a a real like race car thing, like some Formula One, he'd be like ah, a joust. <laughs> 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 this is exactly like if they watch sports, he'd be like ah, jousting. I remember this. Like, yeah, I- God.
2: <laughs> I feel like his complaint about the the you know uh, millionaire fail sons of uh, distantly descended from the throne is not so much that they are doing stupid parties and running around doing cars because knights did that a bunch. It's that they're yeah. not also effectively managing an estate. Yeah, it's that they're do- they're doing all the fun stuff, but they're not doing like the responsibilities. Whereas I imagine he personally would clean this car with like ver with like a power washer and stuff. Like I, the the. I, I, I fence, and my fencing coach is a wonderful guy, and he has a hobby of car detailing. He likes to clean cars. <laughs> like, you can pay him, like, 60 bucks, and he will use a power washer and, like, carefully go over everything, and the car will just look ridiculously, like, pretty when it's done, because he just loves messing with cars and cleaning them and making them, like, function. I'm just imagining Kay having exactly that energy. Just smiling <laughs> through his mustache, pulling out a power washer and being like, this invention is good. I have nothing <laughs> bad to say about it. God, that's so good. <laughs> I enjoyed the... Girl, what is this?
0: I'm enjoying this. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's great. Alright. Yeah. Thanks. I feel, I feel like we can just about wrap this up. Yeah, I really cool. I really enjoyed this
2: episode. Thanks yeah. for coming on, Ben. Oh, yeah, thank you time. so much for having me. Thank you so yeah. much for having me. It's been wonderful.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything you want to plug before the episode ends?
2: Uh, I guess if you enjoyed hearing about Ahab and, you know, occasional breakouts of whale talk and those higgledy piggledy whale statements, there's a podcast called Higgledy-t- Higgledy-piggledy whale statements <laughs> that I am one half of um, with my co-host, Mark, who has Hannah. a special connection to Hannah. He's my husband. We're married. Yeah. Mark's <laughs> cool. Mark's real cool. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, we, it, it's, uh, I will, I will second the plug for Higgledy to Piggly Well statements. It's a really fun podcast. Uh, okay, well, I guess I have to third it. <laughs> Aww. Oh, for you. Forced, forced to co-sign the endorsement of your husband's creative uh,
1: I, I'm still just, like, in the Rebby mode where I'm just, like, dragged kicking and screaming into stuff that I want to do.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Great grebe uh where you can find my other which is podcasts, a kind of bird Is a kind of bird. Uh where you can find my other podcasts, uh including uh Attention Duelists, which is me and my girlfriend Nora's Yu-Gi-Oh! Rewatch podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh by the time this is up, we'll probably be on our third episode. Well, oh, cool. we're watching we're watching original Yu-Gi-Oh! uh Kaiba has green hair The colors are weird. Um, Yami Yugi is basically Jigsaw. It's a whole thing.
1: (laughs) And you can follow me on Twitter at Hanayolo. That's Yolo spelled Y-O-L-E-A-U.
0: Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. Um,
1: Until next time. Uh, it is just a whale, you don't gotta kill the whale <laughs> Kill the whale
0: Until next time Kill the whale in your, in your brain <laughs> <laughs> Alright, peace Bye bye peace.